I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You can laugh, Jeffrey. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to be silly today. We're going to be silly today. It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Mm-hmm. Well, we keep it street. Yes. We keep it opinionated. What? We keep it what? 2015. Two, okay, 2015. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So, Jeffrey, it's we 2000. We've been doing this for like a year and a half. This bitch, every week is like, what is it? My <laughs> mind is thinking of 2016. As when you were saying it, my mind was like, wait, it's 2015. I'm losing track in of time. In about four months. I am change. losing track of time, people. <laughs> You'll be good in four. You're it's, that summer, it's that summer break. And like, I literally, I don't know what days it is. Like, they run into each other. I'm supposed to be places like, what day is this? What year? You're ahead of your time. I'm, thank you. <laughs> don't tell her that. Thank you. Okay. Futuristic. Don't <laughs> So check it out, you guys, on the Rant Room. We discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Shit like that. So you guys hear her voice. That's mm-hmm. my girl. That's Lisa Bolakaja. Hey. What? Why are you excited today? What, what a do, fam? What a do? It's been a minute. I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. It's only so. been two weeks. That's a long time being away from you, <laughs> Hilliard. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm separated from you, and I'm because you're so you busy spend all the time. Your days just mooning or something. No, or? you know what I do. This is a, literally this is how I spend my days. <laughs> I get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. I walk for three miles early because you know it'd be hot as hell nowadays. You know I'd be getting up seven. Then I go and I lounge at the beach and I read and I write. Then I go mm-hmm. to my coffee shop and then it's hot as hell. And then I have to go back to the beach. <laughs> And read so and nap. What's your life? And, oh my god! This <laughs> is the time. Off for the summer. I'm off for the know. summer. And here's the thing: when you're off for the summer, you could actually pretend like you're one of the Kardashians and act like you really have some money <laughs> because you're just like, oh. And like when I drive by and I see the people going to work, I'm like, oh, those plebeians. They <laughs> have to go work. Oh, the workers. <laughs> exactly. Hey, hey! Did you hear the news? I just read it right now. What happened? Because you know, a couple weeks back. Mm-hmm. When I predicted on this show, she always throwing out some damn predictions or some sort. When I said Straight Outta Compton was mm-hmm. going to make sixty million, you know, and that was we, on a Saturday first weekend. I said, you I remember, said fifty, I think. No, I said sixty. No, I said, said sixty. 50. No, I, I didn't. Go back. No, go back and listen. <laughs> go back and listen to the I'll audio, you, people. I went back and listened, bitch. It's fifty. No, no, no. They, no, I said they were saying fifty. I said uh-huh. I. It would. Oh, it you would, might have said that. Yeah, okay. I said it would. I said you know what? I would be surprised if it not, did not hit sixty million. Yeah. That was on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, of course, it hit, so here's the news mm-hmm. today. It is about is 150 million now well. in a week, and it's the number it's one in the history. Guess. In the it's history, doing your type of numbers. Look at that. <laughs> it's the number one uh, biopic, musical number biopic one? in the history of in film. The history of in film. In the history of film. Even over white people's biopics. Even over white people's <laughs> biopics. Yes. Really. Yes. It was in Variety. I was that like, I knew it. I knew, it. and I and we talked about those factors, but I'm just excited, mm-hmm. like you know. And those of you who read my critique on Bitch Flicks, you know, I, I went in. You went in. I said some things <laughs> that were truthful. 
you know, I called NWA. What did I say? I'd say MWA as messenger, mm-hmm. myth, and erasure. Mm-hmm. But it's still a good movie worth going to see, and oh, yeah. I enjoyed it in terms mm-hmm. of the, the storytelling. Well, you said it was one of the best It's one of the best biopics I've seen, seen in terms of, yeah. like, for, for as long as it freaking mm-hmm. was. Have you seen it, Jeff? I haven't seen it. The funny thing is I, I've been traveling because we just mm-hmm. were finished shooting a film down like in San Antonio. Or something. No. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the funny thing is when I saw the preview, because I'm – when I saw the pre- when I heard about the movie, I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to see it. But then a lot of my friends were involved in it, mm-hmm. and I saw the preview, and I'm in the theater. I'm like, I gotta go see this movie. Mm-hmm. And most previews don't make me do that, so right. it's on my list. And my friends that were involved, I, I will go see it this week. No, probably. no, it's good. <laughs> no, I just want to throw that in because it's like no, that's, because it's, that's huge. That's historic. It's huge. It's historic. And you know, everybody, mom, trying to come out with their biopics now. Like, who else? Wait, let's dust off that well, JJ can, fad can and everybody. Can we do my <laughs> Sylvester one? Can we do? Thank you. Can we? Yeah. I've been trying to sell Sylvester one forever. Oh, so anyone out there? Fabulous, fabulous script about Sylvester. If you don't know who Sylvester is, go kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> or Wikipedia. Gar- gargle him. some Legos. <laughs> or go to Wikipedia if you need to. Anywho, Google, I thought I, Google them, bitch. I just want to throw that out there. That's all. Anywho. So y'all see how we're doing on a rant room. We're just silly as hell. Mm-hmm. So um, if you guys are grown, let's get it in. Mm-hmm. So today we got a kick-ass guest for you guys. I've been trying to get my man on for a minute now. <laughs> it's been a year, hasn't it? At least. At least. Oh. Like we've been talking about it. Like, yeah. I'm into him like, yeah. Yes. You don't want to get you on the show. You don't want to get you on the show. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you to uh, my man, Scotch Ellis Loring. No. Who reminded you, going, hey, man. Uh, yeah. Huh? What? Go ahead. No, what you was going to say? She thought you were going to call me Scott. Uh, yeah, I was but like, you were saying Scott. Yeah, right. But but you're okay. Go ahead. No, but oh, she, oh, she oh, caught herself. <laughs> but Scott, <laughs> Scott, like, Scott introduced. He's, us. Yeah, he's coming up next. But yeah, so yeah. Scott, Scott said, "Hey, you know, Jeffrey, don't forget this dude wants you on the show." Anyway, <clears throat> so we got my man here, Jeffrey Reddick. If you guys don't know who he is, I'm going to say this to you right now. Google him, bitch. Google him. <laughs> <laughs> We're silly. I told that's, you. A word, that's a word for the day. Just Google. We're just not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you anything about to. anybody. We're Actually, just gonna I, don't, I don't really go over people's bios because I want people to learn your journey. Right. Um, so look him up, bitch. Look him up. <laughs> um, but writer, creator, director, producer, I mean, what else you do? Um... Horror God. Can we call him a horror Can, God? You know no. what? You know what? <laughs> I love horror. Like, horror is my first love. Uh-huh. And I'm always geeked out when I meet other people who like. Because no, horror is like, you know, it's yeah. an acquired taste. Not everybody can handle it. And the different, takes it seriously. Yeah, and the different levels of horror that mm-hmm. there is. So it's like when you get somebody who freaking wrote Final Destination, okay. it's like, y'all need to recognize people. Okay. Recognize bitches. They have the dead. Can we okay, keep going? can we? Can we yes. Can we keep going? Okay. Okay, how many of y'all did? Five, six, seven, eight, nine of them? Um, five, five Final Destinations. <laughs> so yeah, I wrote the uh, the story in the first draft of the first one and the story for the second one, mm-hmm. um, and they've yeah they've kept going. So um, we'll get into that. It's been really, my favorite oh, yeah, actors we'll, in there oh, too. No mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna go deep, okay deep, okay deep into that. Yes, because I have some things, some uh, stuff, some notes and things, and, okay, and talking we'll about horror. So okay. while I have them here, we'll we actually nothing need, is off limits. <laughs> okay. I always say that. Good. Because, um, like I said, I grew up in I grew I grew up I grew I grew up in a trailer in Kentucky, so I don't yeah, and I'm proud of it, and and <laughs> all, but also I like I I just tell tell it like it is. I really Good. do like because I, I don't think it's real talk. I don't real think talk. I don't yeah. think you you know especially when we're talking about screenwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, you do, a lot of people want to put on like the best face about everything and, right. and this stuff. Is it? It's a struggle. This business mm-hmm. is a struggle, and and I've been in it for since I was nineteen. 
I don't. I was gonna. I don't. I'm, well, I don't want to. I don't want to date. Well, I, well it, my journey started when I was fourteen. But I've been. I started working at New Line Cinema when I was nineteen, and it's been like I'm forty six now. Who, who am I going to try to kid? Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, forty five. You know, y'all need to. Y'all need to do it like Japan. Forty. Exactly. Forty is when you're still a toddler. By the way, you don't become um, an adult till you're speak, eighty. Speaking of horror people, mm-hmm. we have this little thing that we do. Lisa does it. What do you do about once a year around Oscars? Where um, we talk about who are the vampires in Hollywood? Because some of I y'all bitches. Bitch oh, here. I'm telling you. Gotta, I'm telling like you. Nineteen. Don't trying to, oh. trying, to, trying to pretend like I'm forty. Like you know, you three hundred years old. Been here a long time, looking fabulous. He's he's added to my list of hashtag vampire Angela Bassett. All those peoples. All of those peoples. Mm-hmm. So let's go um, into your, you were starting to talk about Kentucky. So since we're talking about Kentucky, let's just talk a little bit about where you came from and how you got into the game. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I, I was actually born in Florida, but I grew up in eastern Kentucky, um, Jackson. So I, I always just claim Kentucky as home because that's, that's where I grew up at. And um, how I got into the, the business was, was, was actually kind of a happy accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge horror fan. I started watching horror films when I was like, Eleven years old. God bless you. Much your to my mother's. God, well, no. much to her chagrin, but she would let me do it. <laughs> you know, I was, was going to ask you because yeah, Lisa and I had mothers that let us watch. It, yeah, but know? because what happened is, I it was me, my friend Calvin, Tony, and Jason. We used mm. to always get together, and there was an old drive-in, and, and Tony's dad had a big uh, old pickup drive-in. truck, <laughs> and so when we couldn't afford to actually go <laughs> see it, we would just sit on the truck and oh. turn the radio, the CB on, yes. and listen to the audio oh. of the drive-in. Oh, God. Awesome. And um, I remember saying we saw we would just watch it all the time, and we saw One Dark Night and Nightmare on Elm Street as mm-hmm. a double feature mm-hmm. at the drive-in, and Nightmare on Elm Street blew me away. Mm-hmm. So uh, this story, I know it's on Wikipedia. You probably have heard it before, but um, tell the so, kids who don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I went home and I banged out a prequel idea for Nightmare on Elm Street, and it came out on video. So I looked on the video box and found out the company that put it out, mm-hmm. and I called information in New York. And again, this is 14-year-old Hillbilly. He doesn't is, know anything. No, no. This is, no, no. And this is the old days, people, before This is all the internet. The hell this year, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. So I had to call information, and I called it and got the name of the company and got mm-hmm. their address and f- the president, and I, sent, I emailed him a copy of my treatment. Mm-hmm. And is Bob Shea, who I, you know, created, you know, one of the best studios in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote me back and said, we don't accept unsolicited, unsolicited. material. So... <laughs> I, you know, I'm 14 year old. I don't know any better. So I wrote him back, and I'm like, like 1984, 83. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I was 84, and I was like, and I wrote him back, and I'm like, you know, uh, excuse me, Mr. Shea, but I've seen three New Line movies, mm-hmm. and I spent about three dollars on your stuff. So I think you can take five minutes to read my story. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know any better. Wow. And uh, and he wrote me back, and he he thanked me for my aggressive introduction, <laughs> and he actually read the the treatment, and he gave me notes on it. Said you know that I was very creative, but I needed to study and and learn the craft more. Mm-hmm. And um, I became pen pals with his assistant, Joy Mann, who um, unfortunately passed a couple of years ago. But she became like a second mother to me. She's just a, was a wonderful woman. And um, would, she would send me like scripts and, and tchotchkes. And she taught me what tchotchkes meant. I didn't know what that meant. Um, <laughs> they don't and, have tchotchkes in Kentucky. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so I stayed in touch with her and got scripts and, and kind of learned through reading scripts. But I was mm-hmm. going to school to, to study theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to Berea College in Kentucky to study theater. Got a short-term study to go to New York for the summer and got into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts okay. for the summer and ended up getting an agent, got an internship at New Line. I was like, wow, this stuff is easy. And I'm like 19. <laughs> okay. And, and that's where I was then. And, and then I have to backtrack for a second because I had read, and I forget who said this. I wish I could remember who said this, but I read somewhere that they said it takes 10 years mm-hmm. 
of really struggling mm-hmm. at your craft before Ten you years, start 10, seeing success. Hours, yes. You know, and um, before you start seeing success, and they didn't mean before you like blow up. They meant before you just start making a right. living at it. Right. And the reason behind that I've learned, you know, as I got older is because you, you know, you meet so many people who are like, okay, I'm going to come to LA for like a year or two mm-hmm. years and give it a shot. And if yeah. I don't make it, then I'm going to quit. Well, you know what? You ain't going to make it right. in two right. years. Right. It takes longer. Right. But I was 19. I'm like, I got all this stuff going on. Screw that 10 years thing. <laughs> um, cut to, it was 10 years to the year that I graduated mm. that I sold Final Destination to New Line. Wow. Because my acting, what happened with the acting thing is, because it was the early 90s, they mm. didn't know what to do with me because mm. I'm biracial. Mm. And um, my agent said that I was an ethnic Michael J. Fox type. Really? Which, you know, my, I love Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Loved him. <laughs> yeah. Still yeah. love him. And she's like, but if you rapped or played basketball, I could cast you. But oh my since God. you don't, I know. Wow. But since you don't, I don't know what to do with you. Wow. So pigeonholing blackness, people. Yeah, and, then, and then they canceled the Cosby Show. So I'm like, well, that was my only chance of getting on TV at that yeah. point. So I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to start writing then, mm-hmm. and I'll just start writing stuff for myself. And it's taken me a while because, you know, you know, I, you know, I sold Final Destination when I was 30. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I'm still writing about killing teenagers, and I'm obviously not a teenager anymore. So <laughs> I've had to kind of be a little bit more sneaky about writing stuff for myself. Right, but um, right. can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. When you were working at New Line, you were working at New Line for a long time. I worked at New Line for about ten years. And what did, yeah. should you start an intern? Did you work? Your I, way yeah, up I started. Well, it was it was it was an interesting story because I started off as an intern, mm-hmm. and then I'd been there because what would happen is when people when executives when their their assistants would would leave they would want me to fill in for them because right. they got to know around. they right. got to know me mm-hmm. so they actually created the first floater position at new line for me oh. um so that whenever there wow. was an, so it was a it was an actual full-time position where i'd fill in for any executive assistant you know that was when their Wait, boss so left. you were around the time where like was it mike deluca oh yeah mike deluca yeah, okay. yeah i was a i was at new line I was like a big yeah, mike deluca fan oh i <laughs> you know the thing i love about mike deluca and the thing i loved about new line at the time especially was mike deluca was like fearless like yes. so many he was a film lover and bob shea was a film lover and they would put out these movies like people would be like, well, nobody wants to see a movie with a black vampire killer. That's stupid. <laughs> or nobody wants to see a movie about some guy who puts a mask on and, you know, or nobody wants to see a movie about house parties. Right. And mm-hmm. he would get behind these movies that today nobody would make. Yeah. You know, well, maybe yeah. some people now would make them finally. But, right. you know, back then nobody would make them. But he would be he would see the potential and he would push for them and they would become huge successes. And mm-hmm. you don't you don't he, he was he, re- he really, mm-hmm. really was. And. And also, he actually even wrote me when I was in, you know, when I, before I started a new line too. Okay. Like that was my the biggest thing when I got a letter from Mike DeLuca. Yeah. Um, because he really was a visionary, and he because he, he's a film lover, and that's right. the thing that that I find that's, that's missing a lot of times missing. now mm-hmm. in the decision making part of the business because a lot of companies have become corporate mm-hmm. is they hire business people to run this stuff, and the business people don't love film, so they don't quite understand film right. in, in the right. way that like a Bob Shea or, or Mike DeLuca did right. back in the right. day. So, right. um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I was at New Line back, and it's, you know, I think it, it's creative heyday when they were making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I and, think most of my whole life, teenage years, was mm-hmm. watching all New Line cinema yeah, movies, yeah, you know? Yeah, that I mean, like, I can't say, yeah. I literally can't say enough good stuff about the company, and and um, you know it was you know it was really sad when it got kind of absorbed yeah. in Warner Brothers. Yeah. And is, is that where you learned how to write, reading all the scripts there? Yeah, like absolutely. That? I never took any um, screenwriting courses. Um, Joy would again send me a lot of scripts to read, mm-hmm. and um, and the thing is, that there's two things I always try to tell people. It's like I th- 
you can get a film school education, but a lot of times I think a, sometimes that can beat the creativity out of you if it mm-hmm. keeps you so focused. Mm-hmm. And I know people that have went to film school and spent, you know, they're so far in debt and they're like, I should have just went right out, especially now with the equipment yeah, that they have. Definitely. You should just go out and right. start making stuff. Right. Um, but I think you learn by reading. And um, I just, because I loved horror, I just read every horror script I get my hands on. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, dug through the old files and found like the original Nightmare on Elm Street draft. Oh, and yeah. we're just reading all the scripts. And, you know, Wes Craven's a great writer. Mm-hmm. And so you, st- you, you kind of learn by watching films and reading. Sure. Um, so so that's, that's kind of where I got my education. And the funny thing is I had written a script. It's the best training. It's yeah. the best training. When I when I was young, like I wrote this script, but when I was like sixteen, like, and I sent it off to New Line, and it was about it was about a biracial um, kid growing up in the prejudiced South, and mm-hmm. you know, blah blah, you know, just very on the nose, biologic, mm-hmm. and autobiographical, and the. A development executive, her name was Melanie Backer, wrote me back, and she's like, "Oh yeah, it got really good coverage, but it's not right for us." So when I start working at New Line years later, I read the coverage, and the coverage was like, "Well, this this wouldn't pass muster for an after school special. It was obviously obviously written by somebody in middle school." And I was like, "I was in high school." Um, but but the lesson is, if I had heard that. Mm-hmm. With my first project out, I would have I would have been like, oh, I'm horrible, and yeah, I would have, I would have yeah, dropped out of the business. Of it, yeah. So yeah. you have to. You, the thing is, you have to realize that you're always gonna you're always growing, and mm-hmm. once you get to the point, like I meet a lot of the the thing that frustrates me the most is I'll meet a lot of young writers who mm-hmm. are like, you know, they've written their first script and they think that like they're the best writer already, mm-hmm. and you, they don't want to hear notes and they don't want to hear anything, and it's like you're. You know, the best writers that I know are still the ones that send their stuff out to get notes from people mm-hmm. and sure. listen to people because. Mm-hmm. The minute you think that you're at the top of your game and you can't get any better, you stop growing as an artist. Right. Sure. You know, right. so I think you always have to be open to constructive criticism, and you have to realize that movies are a collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless you're going to direct your own movies and produce them, mm-hmm. unfortunately, in film you can't be precious. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's weird going from a theater background where the play was like so important in the foundation of everything right. to and movies in the words that were on the page and, and what William and writers, Shakespeare wrote. Writers were regularly like, well, we're going to change all that. Yeah, and like, whereas in, when you... when you theater. Right, and then, <laughs> and then you get into the movie business and they're like, well, the script is a rough blueprint of... And it's like, well... I, you know, okay. <laughs> but then you get into television and then they're very faithful to the writing. Right, you know, right. even though there's there's it's a more collaborative writers True. in process. But once the script is done, like, you know... The director comes in and they're hired, mm. and the actors are hired to say the words. Whereas in film, it's like they buy your script and they're like, "We're going to do whatever we want to with it now." Right, right, um, right. Not even coming on the set. Not yeah. about it. <laughs> I've been actually, I've been fortunate. I've been on the set of every one of my films. I have to say, I've been and, but I've always had to be very like make it very clear that I'm coming on as. Can I ask you and, a question? Of course, that, if you don't mind. Of course. Is, is that because your your first experience came from the same company you worked for? Do you think that helped? And that then, ha- and then you became. Producer level immediately. Right no, no, after, no. I think what happened um, on the first film, um, you know, they invited me on set and got me a cameo. Um, actually, there was, oh, yeah, there was some, good. there was some, yeah, there was some, there was some, like a cop or something. No, well, <laughs> no, you didn't. You don't see it because that was the only scene that never actually made it to the uh, DVD extras. There, there was a, the there was a room floor. There was a misunderstanding between. <laughs> No, I mean I'm, I'm being as polite what, as I can be. What there has was, happened? There was, was a, a misunderstanding between the the director and me for some, and it really was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bob Shea basically had me giving notes on 
the director and his writing partner like every draft that they did. Okay. Um, but nobody told the director this. Okay. And there was an issue that came up with, um, there were some gay jokes in there that were like, in the first 30 pages, were like three of them. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of stood out. And, were, and one of them was at a memorial service. There was mm-hmm. a gay comment. And it was just like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so it kept kind of going back in the studio notes to like take them out. But every draft kept coming back with them in. Mm-hmm. And so finally I just emailed Bob Shea directly. I'm like, dude, this is ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. this stands out and it's homo. I mean, it's offensive. Right. Right. And what happens if I'm giving press and somebody asks about it? And what am I going to say? I try mm-hmm. to get him. So uh, apparently Bob faxed that or emailed that email directly to the director oh, really? who had no idea that they were giving me every draft of the script to give notes on. So the director got really pissed off. Um, I went to set to visit, you know, set and shoot a camera. I'm like, and I come back and I tell the producer, I'm like, wow, they're not really, they weren't very friendly at when I was out there. He's like, well, they really don't like you because they, you know, they mm-hmm. thought, you know, feel like you were going behind their back trying to sabotage the mood. Or I'm like, what? Yeah. I'm like, didn't, I said, did, didn't, did anybody tell them that I was getting the scripts to give notes on? And they were like, no, we didn't want to upset the director. And I'm like, oh, well, great. So then, well, the, so, now it's your fault. Fault. Yeah. so now it's my fault. The director, like, you know, again, like literally, literally, I mean, they shot this whole scene, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the, in the airport security. And like mm-hmm. they built, there was a whole set. Right. And it's the only scene that didn't make it on the DVD extras. Mm-hmm. And they also tried to cut me out of the commentary, which was funny because I, when you work for the studio, it's like, I had a friend just call me up and say, Hey, they're doing the DVD commentary today. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm like, oh, really? So I call Bob Shea up. And Bob's like, Bob's like what? <laughs> Give me a minute. He hangs up the phone. Like five minutes later, I get a call. Oh, we want to record you for the TV commentary. Oh, like it was. Oh, my God. It was, so, can you come in five minutes? Okay, can so, you come in five minutes? So that's why, you know, that's, again, that's, you know, I, I talk about the story because, again, I, you know, you, you always try to, you know, you, people want to put the best face on everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, you don't unless you are kind of realistic about your journey, mm-hmm. you're not helping anybody else. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So with Final Destination, like we actually had a, um, a premiere in my hometown, and, which was wonderful. But the reason we did that was because I didn't actually want to go out to LA and cause, you know, I didn't want to cause any friction mm-hmm. for the whole team out there because again, nobody had kind of told the director that, Nobody you're had so, even cleared. You're so nice about nobody it. had cleared the air by then. You're well, so nice. Like I just don't want to cause you. I'm like, bitch, I'm out there. Well, <laughs> deal. I wrote it. Okay, I, deal. But you know, I got a premiere. I got a. I got a. But I got a premiere in my hometown, and oh, my my so mom sweet. got who you know my mom and fam, whole family and hometown Aww. got to come see it. So so the you know we handled it really well, and mm-hmm. and again I'm really proud of the franchise. And and Craig, I always have to give Craig Barry a shout out. Um, he probably gets sick of me bitching about the cutting room. <laughs> See it and all that stuff, but again, I gotta keep keeping it real. Yeah. But um, but I gotta give a, a shout out. Let me let me just back up one more. Time. I apologize. That's okay. Um, because we gotta talk about how it even came to you. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Was I mean, it? Did you? Was that an original piece that you wrote, or was it was it something? an original? Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. Okay. And um, that's what, what I will know. What yes. happened? Yeah. Because Wikipedia, it's it gets always it's always funny how things you know if it's on Wikipedia, it must mm-hmm. be true. But um, <laughs> the the original concept came to me when I was going everything. When everything relates to me going back to Kentucky for some reason, but I was going back to Kentucky and I read an article, I think it was in People Magazine, about a woman who was on vacation in Hawaii and her mother called her and said, don't take the flight home tomorrow, I have a bad feeling about it. Mm-hmm. So she changed flights and the plane crashed. <laughs> so I read that story and that's what got the germ of the idea percolating. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and back in the day when you, know, when you wanted to get an agent, well you still do I think, but when you want to get an agent you have to write a spec script for something that's already on TV right. because they want to know that you can write other people's voices. Right, right. So I love the X-Files 
And so I used the idea as a setup for, you know, I had Scully's brother have a premonition, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh and so I used it as a spec script and I got an agent from it, but I never sent the script to the X-Files because my friends at New Line were like, this is a great idea. You should do this as a feature. Fuck X-Files. Okay. You were intending as a TV show first? No, no, no. No, I just, I used it as a, as a sample script to get an agent, to get an agent. Um, but I never, we never submitted it to the X-Files because my friends at New Line were like, this is a great idea for a feature. Mm -hmm. Like, don't send it out. Like, cause you know, God forbid the X-Files picks it up, mm-hmm. you know, then you've lost the idea. Right, right. Um, so, but the story for some reason online is that it was a rejected X-Files script, which is not true. We just, we never submitted it to the right. X-Files. Um, and so I worked with... No, uh, note to self, let me go back to Wikipedia <laughs> and, and change that. You know, I, I was wrong. It doesn't no. matter. It, oh, no, it doesn't. It, people just go back and whatever. It's, uh. it's funny. Um, and so... Um, actually, Mark Kaufman is. I always give him a shout out too because he's the one who who was like, "Dude, you got to turn this into a feature." Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up with a, um, two co- co- co-workers of mine, Chris Bender and Jake Weiner. No, it was Chris Bender. Ah, crap. Oh, and JC Spink. Chris yeah, Bender from was, Bender Spink. Yeah, yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris Bender um, was a really good friend of mine who worked for Warren Zide and Craig Perry. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for horror projects, and so I sent them over like five treatment ideas mm-hmm. and one was for Final Destination mm-hmm. so they really sparked a Final Destination so we worked on the treatment for months and months and months how and months long, how many pages how many pages was that treatment that treatment was uh, about 12 pages okay that's not too bad and, no, no. Not too bad. Uh-huh. and we worked on it forever the, and the funny thing is it started off as adults who didn't know each other but then Scream came out and made Teenagers oh, Hot Again no. so then we made them teenagers okay. smart move yes. but the studio couldn't get their head around the fact that death was the killer like they're like, you know ha- what? Why, why y'all don't don't know film and don't y'all just don't know nothing? Because they were, well, yeah. because they were like, you know, how do you can't fight it? And you know, it's just, and and so you know, there was a point. There was a point. Yeah, nobody wins because yeah, you can't yeah. really fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we finally ended up selling it to New Line, um, and I wrote the first draft of the script. And at the end of the first draft of my original script, we did kind of give death an embodiment for a moment, like where you saw kind of this kind of darkish like swirling mm-hmm. figure mm-hmm. but we never actually like gave it a face mm-hmm. um and you know so i wrote the first draft they were really happy with it. they went out to directors they brought james wong and glenn morgan on and james wong and glenn morgan did a did a pretty good rewrite on it, a pretty big rewrite on it mm-hmm. um i just again politically like if you look at the credits there's an arbitration process mm-hmm. where the writers guild looks at all the material right and they Besides. give credits and they give credit you, you got to rewrite like 60 percent or something yeah to, yeah it's, it has to be 50 percent original material to get mm-hmm. screenplay credit and um and you know, so I ended up with sole story credit mm-hmm. and shared screenplay credit. So you know, you created the character. Well, because this, a lot of the, the basic story is still mine. Like right. there's, you know, again, like that's why I always just defer to credits because there are, you know, it's always funny. You'll always hear people going, "Well, Jeff didn't, you know, write this," and mm-hmm. you know, even Wong and Morgan were in interviews saying they threw out like mm-hmm. everything that I wrote because I had a guy hacking up teenagers with a sickle. Which is just ridiculous. So I'm always like, just look at the credits because you know there's a whole exactly. process. Like I had, you know, egos were stripped out of it, and it, you know, obviously the story was the high road. The well, story- can I, can I ask, just ask this? Mm-hmm. Did you? Did you create the main rules? Because a lot of times in horror, yeah. you have to have yeah. the rules. Absolutely. Like when they threw things out, did they throw a lot of your rules that you had made or were they already no, established? You know and here's, and again, and because and, and, I'm all about being honest, like the, the, the setup was there, the death killing them in the order mm-hmm. that they would have died, you know, the death design was there. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that they came up with, and I give them all props for this because I think this helped make the movie more um, accessible, mm-hmm. is they came up with the Rube Goldberg angle. Like that, 
something would fall into something would fall into something. Yeah. They came up with that. In my original version, because again, I'm a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, in my original version, since death kind of screwed up, it couldn't just kill them again. So it basically started playing mind games with each character mm-hmm. um, until they killed themselves. Mm-hmm. So oh. the characters are similar. Like So in the film version of Final Destination, you know, Todd Hank, the kid that gets hung in the shower. Mm-hmm. In my version, he basically... You know, he was a preacher's son who was kind of selling drugs on the side. Like, I get, you know, had, they all had some more backstories. Right, right. And he felt so guilty after the crash that, you know, his dad's driving home one night and he gets a phone call on the speaker and, and Todd's just like on the phone apologizing for being such a bad son and a failure. And his father's like freaking out and he's driving home really fast. And when his father gets home and hits a garage door opener, we realize that Todd's rung a noose up in the garage so that when his dad opens a garage door he and hangs himself there he goes. yeah so the funny thing is the movies there are a lot of similarities like Todd still gets hung mm-hmm. but for some reason they thought oh well this is our you know completely original scene it's like no Todd still just got hung he just got, <laughs> hung. <laughs> just got hung you know and you know and they had a they had a brother they had a brother get off the plane and a brother stay on and in my script it was a sister that got off the plane and a sister that stayed mm-hmm. on so the thing yeah. is like co- a lot of cosmetic changes were, right, were made right. but the Rube Goldberg thing I, I, I do feel really did make it. I think my version was still, I mean, the studio went out with my first draft. Mm-hmm. They were so happy with it. Yeah. Like, it was, cause it was yeah. very, yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, I still love, you know, the other take as well, but you know, I always, my thinking is, you know, can, you can always kind of rebrand and say death has a new design and go with however you want. Right. But right. I, I do think the Rube Goldberg thing was super clever and mm-hmm. just made it more accessible because then people started looking around them mm-hmm. for signs. Right. So, mm-hmm. So that was the thing. That was the that was the, the thing that they added that I thought was was really spectacular. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but they they still well. I guess you, since you had a role in the movie, right? Well, I just had it. They just shot a little cameo for me. Okay, but um, that was because the studio wanted to do it, and that, I think that was all set up before things went down the crapper. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they had already had me plan to come out there, uh-huh. but it it does crack me up because it literally was this whole airport hangar, mm-hmm. secu- you know, where they're mm-hmm. going through security. And that whole scene is just gone now. And it's like, well, you built a whole set, so, and you put everything else on the extras, you're, you're really going to just let a whole, all that money that you spent on that one scene just because you're pissed off at me. <laughs> so, well, at some point, I'm sure the footage is out there somewhere. They'll do like a super, super edition. Mm-hmm. But, um, That's but I'm funny. still really, you know, again, I'm, I, I everything, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm blessed, A, that, you know, it, it's hard to get a movie done mm-hmm. in this business anyway. And so I'm so blessed that that the concept resonates with people. And, you know, again, that, you know, for for any kind of drama, that mm-hmm. old drama that happened, you know, you know, like I when I finally moved out to L.A. in 2001, like the movie came out, I sold it in 97. It came out in 2000. I moved out to L.A. in 2001. So by the time I'd moved out here, Oh, nope. you weren't fully living here at the time. Mm-mm. I was in New York, and I was going to stay in New York till nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I lived downtown, so after that, it was kind of like <laughs> time uh, to go. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I it was with the peace. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was rough. So um, so yeah, I moved out in in November of two uh, after nine eleven, mm-hmm. and um, by the time I got out here, I I literally had to basically get a new manager and send my original draft out and go out and meet with all these people because they did not know even though my name's all over the poster and the credits mm-hmm. because i wasn't out here you know oh, pushing you it yeah i wasn't yeah. taking the meetings right. And, right. and and taking all the credit for it mm-hmm. um so i had to kind of reintroduce myself to everybody right. which was fine you know because they ended up obviously knowing and bought my story for the sequel right um which i actually really loved too so I, did you have to go back in new line and pitch it again or did you yeah you know what it's no it's i wrote you know what i wrote a treatment out and um 
And it's so funny because it's it's just it's a tough business, you know. And so even though I, you know, they love the first one and they love the script for the first one, they still met every friggin' writer in the town. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then they finally came back to me and they're like, "All right, we're gonna buy your story." Well, when you wrote the first one, did you have in mind like, okay, this blows up? On the back burner, I got the rest of the shit for the sequels already panned well, out. Or was it like, oh my God, I made it, and oh, now I got to come up no, with No, you know what? Just because the, the good thing about New Line, New Line was always about branding and franchises. Mm-hmm. So they kind of ingrained that in your head. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, like, concept-driven with my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always write stuff. I don't do it intentionally, so it'll be a franchise. But I always come up with ideas that I think can be franchisable. So when I... So you have high concept ideas. Just yeah. And, they, and when I did the second one, you know, when I wrote the first one, you know, I, I definitely, when I started on the second one, I wanted to do stuff that I love seeing in sequels, which is mm-hmm. I wanted to bring the lead characters back from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of set up a new group the of teens. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to... And then when they come back in the second one, then it's real shaky. Okay. Like, you yeah. know what? I don't think they're going to make it. I don't think they're going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to kind of set up a whole new group of teenagers that you thought were going to be the lead characters, but mm-hmm. then I like wiped them all out except for A.J. Cook, you know, mm-hmm. in the opening. Yeah. Um, and then that log truck scene, like that came out of... Originally, it was going to be a hotel fire and the producer just kept saying... And that's why, again, shouts out to Craig Perry because he always pushed me and, he, and he's always just shepherded the franchise, but... He's like, you know, it's just it's just not special enough. Mm-hmm. And I was again driving home to Kentucky one day and got behind one of those damn log trucks uh, and I pull and I pulled into the next lane. Yeah. And then as I pulled in the next lane, I'm like, log truck. So I pulled off yes. the road and I called up the producer. I'm like, what about a log truck on a freeway? Mm-hmm. He's like, holy, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it was that's it. Brilliant. And and um and Jay Mackey Gruber and Eric Brest did the um screenplay for the second one I wrote mm-hmm. the story um, and they did the screenplay and they did a great job of really expanding the world mm-hmm. and I think David Ellis um, who's passed unfortunately mm-hmm. did such a great job with that sequel and what they did with the sequel and and again I'm always about the project and so if somebody changes stuff for the better like I don't care it's yeah. when they change stuff that's and dumb it down yeah. that's when I get annoyed mm-hmm. but what what Eric Bress and J. Mackie Gruber did with the sequel is my story was very serious in tone because usually studios don't like to Mm-hmm. muck with anything like they like to keep it kind of the same and I like my horror serious me too I, I, I like it serious but you can have some dark humor oh, yeah. some little things in there in terms of character stuff mm-hmm. but for the most part I don't want yuck yucks and you're like I won't be scared to death <laughs> I just want to be just give me the thrill yeah, give me, put me give me the tension of... keep oh, yes. well, that's yeah, the, yeah, well, the, and I think they did that with the second one mm-hmm. but they kept it like the first one was very somber mm-hmm. like very dark and somber and dreary and with the second one it's like it was fun. It was a thrill ride. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you know, like. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, you guys have more money on the second one. No, you know what? They spent the exact same money. What? It, lo- it looks like it looks like because that it, log scene oh, alone. Well, that's right. David like Ellis that was, was a stunt was a stunt director um, and a stunt coordinator and a stunt man for so many years, and he mm-hmm. he you figured all that it. stuff out. Yeah. It looks, um, yeah. It's still one of my favorite openings of any movie, mm-hmm. like except for Scream. I shouldn't. Say, yeah, no. <laughs> I love the opening. I love the opening of Scream. I love me some Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson, and that. Drew Barrymore, I will, yes. I will watch that opening scene. When you just like, oh, Drew Barrymore's, got, oh, she's not in this movie no more. <laughs> I saw that at a screening it's before like, it came out, so I thought she was a lead. So mm-hmm. I was, I didn't, you know, yeah. that whole. We do oh, the old psycho moment yeah. where it's like, oh, you think she yeah. is, and she's gone. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the, with the second one, it was it was great because um, we got to expand on you know the whole idea that the characters who were al- alive in the second one that were going to die in that freeway pileup. The only reason they were alive was because 
the people had cheated death in the first one. Mm-hmm. So there was a connection oh, between the characters. Right. The rules, right. the, the, yeah. yeah. So we, we expanded on the world. We brought the original characters back. I threw a twist in there again where you set up the characters that you think are going to be the main ones mm-hmm. and you kill them. So that, that was a lot of fun playing with that story. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think the screenwriter really kind of like the teaser in your, in your, in your TV show. You set it up every, every week you, this is how it's gonna happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ahead, and so no, but so it's been it's been mm-hmm. it's been great, and you know, and I'm I'm just really I'm proud of the franchise, and you know, I think the the last one was was amazing. And um, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. How did you go from um, writing the first one to the second one, getting the story by, and then getting the executive producer? How did how did you get the executive producer credit? Well, with with the second one, they wanted me. I was working on this TV movie called Return to Cabin by the Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I think. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so so they you know they said we want to buy your treatment, but you know we want to work with these you know have these guys write the screenplay, but we want you to be involved mm-hmm. you know in the development process and everything. So okay. we'll make you an executive producer on oh, it. Okay. And I'm like, hey, you know, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. and so. Um, it was it was a lot of it was more so that I could just kind of oversee mm-hmm. stuff, but they did it. You know, they did a bang up job with the oh, yeah. with the with the movie. I the script turned out great. It's <laughs> it's it's actually I, you know I hate to say it, it's my favorite one, and it's mm-hmm. part it's my favorite one partially because there wasn't any other drama <laughs> involved with it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's hard to you know it's hard to personally separate stuff. You know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still it's just such a fun movie mm-hmm. like from that log track everything it's just such a fun fun it's a ride mm-hmm. it's a ride and mm-hmm. I, that's how I like my horror like right. I want it to be a fun ride so mm-hmm. the second one's actually my favorite um, he said it no no I understand it because it's kind of like with aliens mm-hmm. like I love how the first aliens was like really like dark mm-hmm. and hard but in the second one it became like an action thriller still keeping the concepts mm-hmm. from the first one. So I can see where it's like, yeah, you can have that, and then why don't you keep that, just keep the yuck yucks mm-hmm. at a minimum for yeah. me. <laughs> you are like, no yuck yucks. I just, I just you know, Real, yeah. it's, and, and to me, that's what ruined, I'm sorry, Wes Craven, I'm sorry, I have to say it. That's what ruined a lot of the Nightmare from Elm Street later After, incarnations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. just like, it started getting really when you start, when you, yeah, yeah when, when your boy, mm-hmm. Starts becoming camp, <laughs> just to see how funny and how many zingers can I get in there. It's like you know what? You're not the same dude whose arms were stretching out with razor blades, mm-hmm. who scared the crap out of me, who gave me nightmares. Like shit, there's a dude walking around with a striped shirt mm-hmm. and a hat, burnt up, and he's coming after you, and he can do all kinds of crazy shit and get you in your sleep. And then when it's coming, you know, when it changes from that, I'm like, you know well, what? Well, that wasn't West. That wasn't West too. That was oh, kind of a that was kind of that was kind of a serious changing it. And you don't under and people the that's sequels. what always kind of. It's, it's frustrating because I, I had seen the first one because it was the second run at the drive-in. So mm-hmm. it was coming right out to video. So the second one was already getting ready to come out. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you see that first movie, which and still to this day is one of my favorite. It oh, is my favorite movie of all time because it, it still I think it influenced up. everything. It influenced me as, you know, plus it also got me in touch with New Line. So there's there's no way to extricate the, tr- sure. the right. two. Right. Um, and I, you know, love I've got to meet everybody involved in the movie. They're all except for Johnny Depp. He's too famous. <laughs> Johnny Depp, if you're listening, I want to meet you sometime. Yes. But I've met everybody yes. else. I've met everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, he's married, yes. But um, but I've got to meet everybody. I got to meet Heather Langenkamp, which was wonderful. Yes. And um, and uh, Amanda Weiss. And I, just all of them. And they're all mm-hmm. just in Robert England, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and even like Lynn Shea, who is a teacher, who, mm-hmm. who's been in everything, and I adore her. Um, but... When I saw the second movie, it was so frustrating because it was such obviously a campy, 
Like I'm like, why did you? Why did you go? Like you had one of mm-hmm. those terrifying movies ever, and then right. you go camp, mm-hmm. and then it's funny because they have all this gay subtext, which is great, mm-hmm. but then they denied it at the time, and right. they then they blame it on Mark Patton. They're like, oh, it's because the lead actor was gay, <laughs> and then now finally they're coming out like you know decades later, going, well, it was intentional. Yeah, that that probe video game or that probe <laughs> board game in his closet was put there on purpose, mm. you know, and Bob Shea in a leather bar, mm. you know, and the coach getting spanked with a towel like that. Yeah. Don't blame it on the actor. I mean, that was, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, that was in the right. movie people. Right. right. But, um, but I don't know that, that you just can't, that original one will never, you know, that's what I love about Wes Craven is he's done some of the, you know, the scream franchise again is another one that, um, just reinvigorated the genre mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I've gotten to know Kevin over the years, and he's just a wonderful guy. And it's mm-hmm. nice when you meet these people, and they're actually good people, right? You know, and um, so you know, even the heels have eyes, and last mm-hmm. like all the stuff that Wes has done is like, and he's such a smart, intellectual, like nice guy. Mm-hmm. Like I finally got to meet him. Right. It was. It wasn't until they did a. Um, it wasn't until they did um, the remake of I um, Last House on the Left. Yeah. And I was at a party because. There was a chance they did a. He was at the party stripping, by the way. No, (laughs) (laughs) not me. He was on a pole. I was on a pole. I want to talk to you about it. Hey, well, it's funny because I I had a chance to meet a couple years earlier because they did a documentary called The House That Freddie Built, and they interviewed me. And as I was walking out, Wes Craven was walking in. Oh my god! And I was like. I can't see. <laughs> I know, I know, and I, I just know. kept walking. I'm so. I know. And so I'm that way when too. I was at the par- when I was at the party, um, um, one of my friends was there, and I'm like, "All right, you've got to introduce me to Wes Craven," you know. <laughs> and so we sat down, and we talked for like ten or fifteen minutes, and mm-hmm. he was just so gracious and so nice, and mm-hmm. you know, I just told him what an impact the, the movie had on my mm-hmm. life and career, and and he's just such a nice guy, and mm-hmm. it was just amazing. Um, Anyway, enough gushing about Nightmare on Elm Street. No, no, what, <laughs> no, no, what I like about it, because in terms of when we're talking about horror, and, you know, to me, good horror, and I think it's one of the things that Final Destination does that the Nightmare on Elm Street and a lot of movies do, the really good horror, is when you establish, and this is important for those of you who are writing horror, mm-hmm. please take notes. It is very important that you structure certain rules yeah. and you stick by those Just rules. Yes. Those rules. Because one of the films that came out with last year, It Follows, which is one of my favorite horror mm-hmm. films. Is it this year? Maybe it's this year. One of my favorite horror films this year was mm-hmm. It Follows. Mm-hmm. But, but. One of the problems, <laughs> but one of the problems I had with it, towards the end, the rules started changing and shifting, and that kind of ruined it. That was my be- issue with Zombieland. Yeah. It's, it, act one was yeah. killing, and act two yeah. was like, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. It was like... There's no fear. There's no. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you, yeah. you mentioned the rules actually on Final Destination. The, I, I have to say because you know they everybody is always about, especially when you're at the writing phase. They're like, mm-hmm. well, why are these people? Why now? Mm-hmm. And what's this? And so originally in my original draft of the script, we learned that Alex had the premonition because he wasn't supposed to die in the crash. Oh, okay. So, he, but he got everybody else off the plane, and they were supposed to die. So mm-hmm. that because you know. Then, because the question was like, well, if he's supposed to die, then why have the premonition and what makes him right. special? Right. So, you know, I came up with the idea that he had the premonition because he wasn't supposed to die. And they mm-hmm. kind of threw that out in the in the rewrite. Mm-hmm. So it's just like everybody dies and, you know, and mm-hmm. they started that trend, I think, in the third one for no reason. Like it was like in the second one they lived at the end, but then in the third mm-hmm. one on the DVD extras on the third one, it's like, oh, the people from the second one died. <laughs> so it's like, we didn't what? even see it. Right. So it's like, so theoretically, unless you're a rabid fan who follows the DVDs, right. you can kind of still tweak it. Because in my head, it's like, well, why have a movie where you know everybody's just going to die at the very end anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be some kind of hope. But sometimes, but sometimes though, even though you kind of expect them to, there's still mm-hmm. the fun of knowing 
how things are still going to play out. Even if you kind of have an assumption like, no one's really going to make it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But how, to give you an example, the movie uh, Europa. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Europa? That sounds right. Europa? The one, well, it's the one where they go to the, the moon of Jupiter. I think it came out last year. Okay. Where you kind of know going in that everybody's going to die. Like, they kind of let you know in the first, like, these folks didn't make it. And we're kind of going back and looking at their tapes and what they recorded oh. and all of that. But to me, that still worked. Even though I knew what the outcome was going to be, right. I still wanted to see how it played out. You know, to me, that was still important, even though, like, yeah, they kind of died. But how did they die? Like, how did right, that happen? Right. So I think you, there's still ways you can you still have those you things You can still happen. do that, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's, let's, let's move away from Final Destination for a second. That's the only let's cow I have this. to milk. Let's just <laughs> say this. I'm kidding. $750 million over the franchise. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. No, no, not at it all. It brought respectability yeah, and you, to horror. What are you, probably one of the first people of color <laughs> Who, who started a franchise like that to make that type um, of one of them? Who else we got? What's your dude from Underworld? Maybe him. Oh, Kevin Greedius. Kevin Greedius. Mm-hmm. And we're like, who else oh, can we think of? I never even thought about it like that. There's yeah. not that many. And, and to me, and like, I know people, you know, we and try to. And we can't, we can't no, even no, no, think. But like, to me, who else? To, that to me is such a huge big deal because mm-hmm. one of the things that people are constantly saying all the time mm-hmm. is that people of color, um, whatever your mixture is, is that we don't go see these type of quote-unquote genre films. And it's like, oh, they don't write that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, we freaking do. Yeah, we, yeah. we do write that stuff. Yeah. It's like you guys have blinders on and mm-hmm. don't understand that we're out there. So it's mm-hmm. like when I showed my mom your picture, she was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, and the funny thing know? is I actually never even, I just never even thought of that. You don't think, because when you're in the midst of it, you're like, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. But yeah. for the representation, people looking outside, looking in, like, that was, that's huge. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, no, that's actually, I never thought about that. <laughs> but, but we don't live our lives like, you know, oh, this is a black thing, this is a white thing. We right. just write. We right. just write. You know right. I mean? it's, it's the other people that kind of put that on us right. in a way, which is, which is interesting. But, um, but luckily we don't have to think about it anymore because we're in a post-racial world now. So do you say? <laughs> let me let me sit my water. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, could, I could not. I could not. I'm giving them two years. I could not. I could not. Not I'm say that. I'm praying this is not a phase. I know because I'm getting more work than ever. I know. So I'm not complaining. However, these motherfuckers. No, I'm just um, but um, let's. You were starting to talk about that other. Um, oh, return to camp by the way. Return to camp. No, and the thing is, again, I preface all this by saying I am eternally blessed and grateful that I get to write for a living yes. and get have had stuff made. And in but, a genre that you in love. In a genre that I love. Yeah. And, and I've got some great stuff going on, too, that we'll talk about in a little sure. bit. But, you know, again, it's if especially since we're talking about screenwriting mm-hmm. and we're talking to screenwriters and aspiring screenwriters, it it, it does it. Like, Steven Sesko is a friend of mine. He did The mm-hmm. Grudge and, and Red. He's done some great... He's mm-hmm. one of the nicest people that I've ever okay, met in the world. Talking to him, too. Um, he, yeah, he, <laughs> he but um, he's, no, he's, a, he's, he's a great guy. And he t- one, one thing he told me is, like, you know, if I ever get, a, if I ever get asked to speak to any group, mm-hmm. I always say yes. Because if it wasn't for people helping me, like, if Bob, Shea hadn't, re- if Bob Shea hadn't responded to my letter... I, I always wanted to be an actor. Like that's mm-hmm. my 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 literally my dream growing up was to be like the first biracial centerfold in Ten <laughs> Beat magazine. Literally, <laughs> literally, I'm like I'm gonna be hanging on that ladder like see Thomas Howe okay. with a okay. with a pair of overalls on. Okay. You'll see. Exactly. Um, yes. But if it wasn't, but that was my original dream. But I knew I always wanted to work in the movie industry. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for people, you know, giving me that shot like if Bob Shea hadn't written back to me and sure. if Joy hadn't followed up with me mm-hmm. and if I hadn't got that internship and you know what the, I started getting acting work because when I was at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts mm-hmm. um, 
Joan Diancheco, who was like a casting director for mm-hmm. that, her daughter, it starts with an N, I'm blanking on her name, I'm so embarrassed now, but her daughter was in the class, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it was her daughter, mm-hmm. and everybody was sucking up to her, because <laughs> they knew who she was, right. except for me, because mm-hmm. I didn't know who she was, and we just ended up hitting it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was curious, who's this person I okay. paid attention to? No, no, <laughs> she, was a, she, was a sweet, she was the sweetest, sweetest girl in the world, but because, again, just me coming from Kentucky and just being nice and not, mm-hmm. you know, I never did stuff like when I wrote that letter to Bob Shea, I wasn't thinking like some master plan, like, oh, this is going to lead to an internship that's going to lead to them <laughs> buying a friend. Like, I was just being in the moment, doing mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, but if it weren't for people helping me, but also people being honest with me, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, because you get people get, you know, I used to think, okay, you write a movie and they love it, and then it comes out in the theater like six months later. <laughs> you know, like I, I yes. you know, that's we exactly all, what yeah. I think. Everybody everybody that and they, still think, and they, and they yeah. think that that's what happened. Well, that's like me when I was younger, well, when I first started getting in there, I thought like, yeah, you sell the movie. Like, I didn't even know the concept that, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you're a screenwriter, you make a movie, you make your living because you're selling stuff. The concept of, there are plenty of people out here who are writing scripts that are getting sold who whose movies never get made oh. or people who, you know, can make a living who getting stuff constantly optioned. I had, about six or seven I had no idea that I was in as an actor. I had no idea. I had no idea that that happened. Good roles in them too. Yeah. Right. With some big actors. Like my idea is if you're a screenwriter because you yeah. sold some stuff and it, it becomes a movie. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, you the hustle is real and sometimes you have mm-hmm. things that are optioned and it never happens. Like right. that blew my mind when you find out like, what? Yeah. That's how it really is. And I know people like it was funny like um, one of my old managers was like one time because um, he, he was complaining that I hadn't written anything in it for a while and I was like well you you haven't liked any of my ideas and he goes it doesn't matter he goes I can sell it and he goes I and I, you know and or he goes I can sell it he goes it might not get made but I can sell it and I said well I don't want to have movies not get made I want, I'm writing movies that I want to get made he goes well I've got clients that are millionaires that have never had a movie made and, and I'm that's like, real and that's, 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 that's real and that's real talk, talk. and I'm yeah. like and I'm like well that's great but I'd rather have movies be made and not be ma- I mean I'd rather have movies be made and be a millionaire but mm-hmm. I'd rather have movies get made and not be a millionaire than be a millionaire and not have Absolutely. any movies made because mm-hmm. the whole reason I'm doing this I don't want you know right I'm doing this because I want to get stuff out there yeah it's like you know training for the Olympics you know I want the gold medal on the podium I want to run and I want to be on the podium I don't want to be like <laughs> You know, you made the team. Exactly. Yeah. But nothing else ever happens. You're going to be on the bench. You're going to be on the bench. But, uh, but uh, like, where's the, where's the glory in that? Yeah. yeah. But, with, um, but with Return to Campbell, and that's why I'm dishonest. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you know, you know, nice. I, you know, there's, I, there's, I haven't met any people that I feel. I, I've been stabbed in the back a couple times, but mm-hmm. I don't feel any need to stab people in the back. But, no, you no. know, but with um, Return to Camp by the Lake, like, I... It was a sequel to Cabin by the Lake that had Judd Nelson in it. Um, and, you know, I got the job, and I wrote a very detailed treatment, so I wrote a really good script. We got the director back. We got Judd Nelson back. They were all can excited. Can you just briefly tell the audience what the first movie was about so they kind of um, have an idea? Yeah, the first movie, Judd Nelson played a, a screenwriter who was who was who couldn't find his muse, basically. Mm-hmm. So he rented a Cabin by the Lake, and he actually was writing a movie about a serial killer who killed women. So he started killing women and throwing their bodies in the lake to get inspiration. Mm-hmm. So he got caught at the end. Mm-hmm. So my idea for the sequel, because in my head I'm thinking, okay, I want to write a part that's going to, make Judd Nelson want to come back. Right. So the idea was they were, sh- they were shooting a movie based off of his script. And I, so I had Jed, Judd Nelson going through various disguises until he wormed his way into directing the movie. Mm. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Mm. Um, kind of, kind of killed the financer. And then he like, so he got to wear all these disguises and it was, and, it, and they loved the script and they mm. got the producer back on. I mean, the director back on and like probably two months before they were started shooting, I get a call from the producer who had brought me mm. on 
saying, well, the head of the network read the script again, and he thought it was a little too clever for the USA audience. So they're going to bring they're going to bring somebody on in house to like just kind of do a pass on it. And I said, what "Are do you, you mean? saying dumbing it down?" And that's what, uh, that's what I said. I said, "You mean dumb it down?" And she said, "Yeah." And I'm like, "I, I got to okay, interrupt you. Okay. If you don't mind." First of all, you can't pay me to dumb it like. I think I actually did tell her. I said, "Well, I can dumb it down myself." I mean, you come from working with networks. Why do networks do that? Um, Why can't they? Well, have you do it. Is it cheaper to have somebody else? Well, this was w- this was back in um, this was back in 2000. So things have over the years have changed and stuff like sure. that. But I think probably they had somebody in house that was just like. Their go-to. Their go-to that they could pay a thousand bucks to and just go. So they, the, they, and the producer wouldn't send me the script. It was so funny. But I did go down to set on that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, was walked in the background and stuff and, and got to watch him film and stuff like that. Um, but they literally went through and just dumbed the script down. Like all the, like every nuance was just gone. Like I had it where the director and the lead actress were, were dating mm-hmm. so all the actors were throwing themselves at the director trying to get bigger parts and he was like you know I'm, I'm in love with you know and he was you know which is the opposite of what you would expect in a movie. Right. they're mm-hmm. like well why doesn't the director why isn't he sleeping with all the actresses I'm like because that's the cliche exactly. right and so that's but of course that's what they ended that's up doing mm-hmm. so they just dumbed that script down well, that's infuriating the fact that they would dumb something down yeah like, just audience. make the movie it's too it's, smart it's, for the and now if you now if you watch it see what they think about y'all you see what they think about y'all well again this was 2000 so I'm sure that they don't think that anymore <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, if you watch the movie now, like the director literally shot it like a comedy. Like there's like weird sound effects and weird like boing noises and stuff. And I, I, I assume it's because he got annoyed mm-hmm. that they turned the script into like, you know, they just dumbed the movie down so much. So I literally, I had some friends over to watch it. And it's the only time, <laughs> the only time that I actually started almost crying a little bit watching the movie because I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, because they, cause they really dumbed it down. Like, and you know, day of the dead was another kind of, you know, janky experience where they had hired Steve Miner mm-hmm. to direct the film and they wanted to bring a writer in. And I'm like, all right, well I know I'm going to get killed for doing this, but at, at least as a fan, I can write something that's very faithful to the original. Right. And so I went in with like a, you know, a, like an eight page, you know, eight page, nine page, treatment Mm -hmm. that was very faithful to the original and they hired me to write it and the minute they hire me to write it they start wanting me to change everything (laughs) so you catch early interviews with me where i'm like fans are gonna yes you know Mm -hmm. early interviews you know you hear me going you know i think the fans are really gonna appreciate it because it really is faithful like you know my original story took most took place mostly in an underground bunker and kept Mm -hmm. all the tropes and the ideas from the original one and then if you catch later interviews with me i'm like it's a movie (laughs) (laughs) Because they had, they had you, cha- they, they are distancing the hell out of yourself. They, they, well, they, cha- they changed so much that it actually got to the point where I had to call my manager and say, I can't. Take my name I, off. I, I can't, well, I didn't do that. Oh. <laughs> I, need, I needed the residuals. Okay. I'm but, um, but I'm like, I was like you got to tell them I can't do anymore. Because I said, they've taken this so far away yeah. from what it was oh, that the fans, I said, the fans were going to kill us no matter how, right. fa- if we, True. we could have just completely just shot for shot remade the movie. Right. And they would have still got mad. But I right. said, now it's like, they should just call it something else. Right. It's like, this is not the um, same, So it's yeah. a fun, it's a, it's a, if you watch it, it's a fun zombie movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a good Day of the Dead remake. No. because And they shouldn't have called it that. And now they're remaking it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if five years later. Now they run fast. Yeah, right. yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Well, they ran fast in mine too, but they also climbed up on the ceilings. And yeah. it was, anyway. Um, We're just changing rules everywhere. They yeah. can now climb up on the ceiling. But, uh, okay. But it's, you know, the, the funny thing is, it's always, 
you know, with that movie and, you know, Tamara, you know, I was my homage to Carrie that came mm-hmm. out and, and, um, that movie got, you know, got watered down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lionsgate bought it originally to, to come out theatrically and it just got watered down so much that when they mm-hmm. saw it, they're like, eh, we're not going to put this out theatrically. Yeah, we'll put it out like direct put it yeah. video. Yeah. And, um, and it, that was a lot of like budget stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, s- some of the producers, not the main ones, like the, the Fishers were great, but there were some other producers that came on and kind mm-hmm. of magically the budget kind of disappeared mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. in the ether and it had nothing to do with Lionsgate this is right. like separately from right. them um, and so you know the director didn't have a lot of money to shoot with and then like a lot of the edgier scenes the actors you know like didn't want to do and it just turned into this whole thing where it's it's a fun movie I it's a very cam- I don't know if you've seen it it's very like fun camp mm-hmm. movie but it was a lot darker and edgier originally and because um, that seems to be your regular style is is more darker edgier but people tend to Futs with it a little bit. They do, they yeah. do, but you know what? we tend to write darker and edgier. Yeah, well, the good thing is, and and again, I, I learned to love all the movies for what they are, because sure. you, you, you you just have to at some point, mm-hmm. you know, like, except for Return to Camp by the Lake. I'm just, that one is just like, <laughs> oh, I can't. You know, there's there's a couple of actors he and actors. He gets the residual, and he's like, rip. There's, 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 there's sunglasses some, on when that check comes talent. <laughs> there's some talent in there that I like, mm-hmm. you know, that have gone on, you know, gone on to do bigger things so mm-hmm. I can enjoy it for that but it's mm-hmm. just like that that is the only movie that I <laughs> that I watch where I'm just like because I don't even think the director wanted to do it you know it's just like I think he was just pissed off <laughs> um, but you know I you know Day of the Dead is is a fun zombie movie mm-hmm. if you take it kind of out of the milieu of, of that and and you know again they took they took stuff out that you know makes it make not sense like you know like all the younger characters are supposed to be in the reserves mm-hmm. not in the actual military but they took that line out, so now it looks like Nick Cannon and Mina Savari and yeah, all these like, all these young people doing? are like military, supposed to be like mm-hmm. tough military people. And it's like no, they were reservists, right? So mm-hmm. a little um, nitpicky things like right. that. But right. um, but I have to say, like the stuff that I have going on now, I'm really excited about because you know we just finished a movie in San Antonio that's mm-hmm. about sleep paralysis um, called yes. Dead Awake, and. Um, it took forever to get off the ground, but because um, now you're dealing with stuff with that 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 concept, you're dealing with stuff that to me can actually be scary because it's based on some real stuff that can happen. And, and you that's just, always your favorite you, thing. Oh so I'm a zombie dude myself, but right. this one loves. when it's like real, like to the real, like that shit really happens. But mm-hmm. you've like ramped it up to the point where it's become like this horrific thing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that's what we did. That's what we did with dead. With it's called Dead Awake, um, and it j- literally just wrapped last night. And um, you know that's that's one of those things where it's a concept where it's it's a real life concept and there's a whole mythology behind it mm-hmm. and there's science behind it mm-hmm. and the story's about this woman who's investigating the death of somebody close to her who died of sleep paralysis and as she starts digging into it and getting the people around her to kind of start believing in it you realize that once you believe in it this thing can come after you yeah, okay. um damn it those are the and, scary ones too. yeah it's and like, it's, and, it, and you know it, it turned out we got joss and donnie from house of the uh, devil and yeah. insidious too and we got jesse bradford um we got Lori petty mm-hmm. um we got bria grant who was in halloween uh two and mm-hmm. she was in heroes she was speedy in heroes which yeah. i love and um and um and uh Jesse Borrego, who's been in a ton of stuff, yeah. but he was actually Jesse from Fame, the TV series, which actually makes me geek out. That's funny. Me, I geek love out, that. Which yeah. makes me geek out so much. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so we, we got a we got a we got a good cast, and Philip Philip Guzman is a director on it. Did a wonderful like the stuff that I saw just looks mm-hmm. mind blowing. We have mm-hmm. some great. I, just now, I'm not you know want to shout out to everybody, but you know we you know Derek Lee Nixon yes. and James <laughs> Lamar and Galen Walk. Um, 
Galen Walker um, and and Kurt Werman and mm-hmm. um, and I'm there's Philip there's the last Philip that I'm forgetting his name who's a producer on it too. Hi Philip. Um, and <laughs> and we we just had a great team of producers who really pushed <clears throat> to, to make this happen and and I think this movie is going to be I was on set I also shot like a role in it and I think this movie okay. is probably going to be aside from anything that I direct, I think mm-hmm. this movie is going to be the closest to my vision. That's what I'm asking. Oh. Like, is ever, this something that this, this is something, you see it? Me and yeah. the director, like, completely meeting of the minds as far as everything, like, you know, and, you know, he called me up and he made some tweaks to the script, but everything mm-hmm. he made just made the script better. Right. And At this, least you guys talked about it. Oh, yeah. You know and and right. I've been, I've actually had, except for the first film, I've actually had good relationships with every okay, director mm-hmm. that I've dealt with and, and uh, the writers on the projects, too, mm-hmm. this, of sequels. Like, I've had great relations, like because I, for me, it's all about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Like that's a theater background in me. It's like right. collaboration. So I'm I'm always able to kind of take my ego out of something mm-hmm. to make a project better. Like I don't like for me, it's like the, if you come up with a great scene, and my name's on the script as a screenwriter, that, that just makes me, that just makes me look makes better. Me look you know, okay. I'm just as be yeah, honest. That's right. Um, that's true. And so Philip really creatively just you know took what I had, mm-hmm. made it his own, but also elevated it in a way like there's stuff that i saw that he shot that is like way beyond what i had in my head mm-hmm. i'm like this in it you know I love that. and so it's i was so That's excited what your director should do right right they should take what you have on the page and expand on it in right. a whole another you just saw the camera right. doing this and they went yeah 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? absolutely so Whatever. for this particular project how does this idea come to you because um, it you seems like you your ideas are like kind of like well, how this, my ideas come like something mm-hmm. happens you're like God well this this, this one down. actually um some producers actually brought some articles to me on sleep paralysis mm-hmm. and um and so then i just started you know doing research into like the history of sleep paralysis and the mythology of it and you know, again, in your brain, you got to come up with rules and why is this happening to, mm-hmm. to certain people? And I don't want to give anything away plot-wise, right? Um, so, but um, that w- that started off just some articles. Mm-hmm. But then when I, once I started reading all the mythology, I started mm-hmm. seeing like ways that you could really make this. Plus, it's interesting that um, there was this Hmong study about these people who came from a country, and I should have googled this before I came over here because <laughs> I don't want right. to I don't want to be racist and lump people together. But it was. <laughs> I think that it was from it was a Vietnamese people, okay. um, but it was a group called the Hmong. Mm-hmm. It was it was the actual group of people, and they all came over and they all died in their sleep within a period of being here for like a couple of years. Oh my god, that's they scary! And, what was the reason? And they, they don't yeah, they they, they don't know, but they all they all reported seeing this thing sitting on their chest. Shut up! You know what? That that's it. Well, so that's a mythology. Because you know what? My here's my thing. I've <laughs> actually. Well, my my what I understand for sleep paralysis sometimes isn't it the concept of that you, you can go to sleep and sometimes you'll wake up before your body really has so hmm. you're kind of awake. Yep. But so the like body doesn't move because there's times where yeah, and there's times where I've woken oh, up where yeah. I've woken up literally where I've tried to like scream. Yeah, and you can't and move. you can't do nothing. Yes. And then it slowly kind of fades out and it, you know, I used to think that it was like alien invasions when I was a kid <laughs> See, when I, it would happen to me. I, like this is how they get you. A lot one, one in 3 people will experience it right. in their lifetime. And right. the thing is it's yeah, but your brain shuts your body down when you go to sleep at night so you don't act out your dreams. Right. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times you'll wake up and the brain hasn't shut the body turned the body on. Like your body your brain my, my brain be like bitch what are you doing <laughs> like this is not the time so people 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 think that alien abduction mm-hmm. they think that that's a lot of the reasons that people mm-hmm. exper- because mm-hmm. a, a lot of people experience like evil and they all mm-hmm. say the same thing there's something evil in the room with them holding them down because mm-hmm. you said that on, something's, on, yeah. their chest, right. something's on their chest something's on their chest and you can't yeah. move yeah right yes. so um so it's just a fa- fascinating mythology behind it, and you know that's one of those ideas where it's like, okay, this is an obvious franchise. I think that will tap into something that 
that's that, subconsciously sub- the universal experience of people yeah. and sleep and I love that mm-hmm. kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Why are you so smart with your stuff? My God. No, well, you know, it's it, I try to come up with concepts. It's like and we have an, an, another I'm not going to sit here and like pimp all my projects, but there's another project that I, I direct well, I do well, I direct a short them, 50,000 listeners put, out there. I did want to pimp the movies. No, but a track. I but I no, but I I, I, I directed a shit. You don't like this redhead? I got this brunette right here. I like this brunette. I got this exactly. ombre colored chick right here. Come on. <laughs> you want like that? I got something over here. Come mm. on now. But it's like, well, it's like, it's more it speaks, I think, to the concepts. Because I think in, mm. in horror, concept is kind of king. Like, mm-hmm. you can sell, people go to see a movie because of the concept, not mm-hmm. necessarily stars. And um, I directed my first short. Called- can you say that one more again? People go to see horror movies based on the concept and not stars. So stop trying to put people in here and pimping no, people that you think it's like, we need good story. Yeah. 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 Like, we just mm-hmm. need a good, freaking good story. Mm-hmm. For example, it follows, there was nobody in there. Nobody. And, and it's yes. so funny. And, the, and that's the frustrating thing is like, I did once, I was dealing with an investor trying to get financing for a feature. Mm-hmm. And, oh, th- this was the one. And we'd send her, I sent over a list of all the top like 20, 30 horror films that had come out in the last two years. And out of the top ten, only three of them had stars, and the other other fifteen in the top fifteen didn't. Mm-hmm. And then the movies that had the biggest stars in them weren't in the top twenty. They made the worst exactly. and because you cannot exactly. relate to them. People yeah. like to see people they don't know because it makes the shit more real. That's why right. paranormal when you have, yeah, yeah. You know, when you like have that, famous yeah. people in it, mm-hmm. we get sidetracked. Like, oh, this is a celebrity pretending you to know be somebody. To yeah, and it's yeah. like, and since they're the mm-hmm. star. Chances are nothing too bad is yeah. going to happen. You know, they don't survive. Yeah, it's like, it's in their contract. <laughs> right. you know? And then, the, and then yeah. the distributors, but the distributors want to have names. Because they think that's going to sell I know. overseas. Yeah. I know, it's so frustrating. I need it's, to get in distribution and just wreck <laughs> shit up. I like, know. What? It's, 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 it gets really, it gets really frustrating when you're trying to do that. So, mm. but with, with Good Samaritan, um, you know, the concept is these people witness somebody being assaulted in a park and nobody helps the person I out. I saw the trailer. It's yeah. scary. And, um, mm-hmm. well, that's the short, the short I did, I did a short, but we have a feature version well, that we're I working on. Well, I think it's the short trailer. The, yeah, the, trailer the short for trailer. The short, yeah. And, um, and so nobody helps, but somebody videotapes it and outs the witnesses. And mm-hmm. so they start dying off and you're not sure if it's the guy's spirit or if it's like karma or if it's a killer that's after them. So you don't know until the end, mm-hmm. like what's, what's after these people. Mm-hmm. And so that that went to a lot of film festivals. Or something. It, yeah, it went to a lot of film festivals. We're actually putting it out next month. Um, we'll we'll know the exact date within the next week because mm-hmm. um, we're gonna basically we're gonna put it up online mm-hmm. um, for free, but people can donate anything if they oh, want that's to. Really cool. that's if, yeah. if they want, just because you know to to help fund some future stuff, but also right. help our get our investors some right. back. But if you donate over a dollar you'll get like a behind the scenes thing that we've put together. I'm so. going to donate. I'm going to donate. <laughs> I'm going to donate $10 so I can get the behind the scenes no, it's extras. Only, it's only a dollar if you want it, the behind the scenes extras, but it's it's free. To, it'll be free to watch. I but don, if, I can't donate 10 extra. You, you, can, you, can, you can that extra you $9. Before you walk out. You can you can do it everyone. But the thing is what we wanted to do is we wanted to obviously make the short available. Right for everybody mm-hmm. but also because you know it is it is a business people did invest in the film right. and we also want to make, make more stuff right. it's like well you know we'll give you the option if you want even if you just want to donate like you know 15 cents or mm-hmm. 10 cents or whatever a cup of coffee you mm-hmm. know it's not but 
we figured we'd do something special for the people who did over a dollar. Right. And, and so we put together a really nice behind the scenes packet. Y'all been um, really and nice. We're, and here's the thing. Usually it's like $10 right. or more and then the $1. Right. You're right. It's smart. It's I'm smart. Like, oh, and man. also because a lot of times really good stuff, honestly, a lot of good stuff nowadays, it's word of mouth. Like especially in, I'm just talking specifically with the, the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the great stuff, especially a lot of people who are putting their shorts up that later become movies. Like right. Mama, mm-hmm. um, I think a couple of years back, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, but it was a horror, oh, The Tooth Fairy mm-hmm. and some other other things that later became something else that became like Dark Falls or something like that mm-hmm. or When Darkness Falls. Um, and, you know, a lot of big directors are looking for people who have stuff that's interesting and different and unique. And I'm always online. Like a lot of times once a month, I guarantee you, I will be sitting up on a Saturday and I will binge watch shorts, horror shorts. looking, mm-hmm. And I'm looking for names for people like directors, writers, mm-hmm. so that if something new comes out, I'm looking out for them because mm-hmm. I want to see their their stuff. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you guys are making it so easy and so affordable to be able to like watch this stuff and support at the same time, I think it's really smart. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's free if you want, and it's free, mm-hmm. and if not, and if you want to put anything in, it's not. And Can I ask um, you a question? of course. Um, so you started. You directed. Was that your first thing you directed? It was the first thing I directed. And the funny so what, thing is, what made that happen? Had you been? Has it been in their back mind? Had you directed in college? Um, you know what? No. What, what you know what? It? It's a lot of it was. Having, you know, s- scripts that started off really good and then didn't turn out quite like I wanted them to, mm-hmm. and and I'm like, you know what, I want. There are a couple of stories that I have. Um, there are three actually. One superstition, one is Good Samaritan, and the other one's called the Horror Show. And there's so there are three scripts that I have mm-hmm. that I know that I just don't want anybody mucking up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's and real I, talk, like, and hey. and you know, and so I, I directed the short because everybody's like, well, you need, you know, you need to have something to show, mm-hmm. and. So I directed the short. Some sort of a concept. Yeah. yeah. And to see so, that, that you could actually do it. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we, and the short was amazing. We got Rain Wilson to be in it. Yes. And oh um, Toby Hemingway, who was in The Covenant, and he was in Black Swan. He's a wonderful actor, and he's just he, just one of the, he's a wonderful young actor. And, 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 um, and the um, person that I'm most excited about, I always geek out about this. <laughs> so from my childhood, there were two pinnacle shows. <laughs> there was the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. And there was a miniseries V. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. so I for my short I had like there was there's like a little cameo and I had this I was like well I, I've met Heather Langenkamp <laughs> did you and I, did and I was you? like could I, I could get her but nobody has seen, would expect Jane Badler who played uh, Diana to be in a thing so I got okay. Jane Badler to be in my short <laughs> oh my god oh my god and literally I have that to say awesome I have to say I've never and I when I worked at Newland like I met like Morgan Freeman and Brad yeah. Pitt. I met like A-list people like at, just at parties and stuff. Never got starstruck because I knew how to keep sure. my professional. I went out to lunch with Jane Badler mm-hmm. and I'm literally <laughs> sitting here I'm, and, and can't talk. No, like, that shit is real, and, y'all. And like, I never knew yeah. what it was like to be starstruck. Like yeah. I never in my yeah. life. And here, this was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting with her and I'm just trying to talk and in my head I'm just thinking, you know, because me and my friends used to, <laughs> me and my friend Greg used to, Greg Slows from high school, we used to get in these Lydia and Diana fights at school. Um, <laughs> they yeah, okay. you know? um, and I was always Diana, of course. Yes, um, yes. So I'm just sitting there, and and finally there was a point, like five minutes in, where I'm like, I said, I have, I really have to apologize. I said, I really just need to kind of sit back for a second because I, I'm, I'm really having a moment right now. I'm having a moment. And yes, I really can't um, deal with this right now. That you're, I'm talking to you, the sweetest woman. She is amazing, and I can't can't wait to like actually work with her like on something else because oh, I, I love that but um so that was actually i mean and i love rain wilson and, to- and mm-hmm. toby hemingway too like no, I'm, and it but, was really good to see rain wilson 
you know, a lot of times people see him funny stuff, like, yeah. but to see him in serious stuff or just mm-hmm. something where it's like, oh, wow. See, people who are funny like that act. usually can play yeah. straight. Yeah, right. Really? Robin Williams, I mean, Jim right. Carrey, they can do it in a Yeah, and he does a great mm-hmm. job, and he's, yeah. he's amazing talent, and... Mm-hmm. and um, so the short turned out really, you know, we got some really good talent and a really good team. I had a really it good looks team, good. really it good really team does. around me. And, and would you guys shoot that on? What was it? Um, the Sony? Um, oh my, my um, DP is going to. So it wasn't me. like a red or something. It was mm-hmm. like a. It was a Sony. Sony. It was Sony. Yeah. Let's just say, but Sony. it looked nice. <laughs> I mean, it, looked, it looked like a. Yeah, red let's just camera. say it looked good. Yeah, because I, I know, I know this. I wasn't expecting that question. That's okay. I'm um, thirty on spot. But. Um, I kind of did, but but I, <laughs> <laughs> but um but no, I mean it, it turned out really well, and um, have, have your agents and managers seen it? Have they? Oh no, yeah, no, and I what I, what what's going on right now is I'm working with this producer Andrew Vanden Houten, mm-hmm. um, who's done a lot of uh, great stuff. He did a lot of Jack Ketchum's um, projects, early yeah. projects. He did a, just finished a movie called All Cheerleaders Must Die. Because um, <laughs> they got to, because they got to, or all children, or all children's die. I'm sorry, they, mm-hmm. I think they, cha- I t- think they took the must, must out of it. Okay, um, like something Scotty Mullen would. Yeah, write, I was like, <laughs> but um, but he's a, he's a great producer. So um, right now we're working on on the feature version of it, oh, um, nice. and so we're really excited about that. We're we're teaming up with some really good people um, to make that happen. So I'm really excited about that. So that'll be, you know, hopefully going forward next year. Okay. Um, you know, what, I mentioned what about TV wise. TV wise, um, I have a project out right now. I'm trying to think if I can talk about it. I think I can talk about it. I have two projects out right now. I have one called Near Death mm-hmm. that um, that Elizabeth Devine, who's one of the uh, showrunners and executive producers of CSI, mm-hmm. um, um, worked on with um, me and a friend of mine named David Sporn out of New York, and it's kind of like people investigating demons that are coming into our world through people's near-death experiences. So we're out with that show right yeah. now, and um, I'm working with a... I know some writers. <laughs> no. <laughs> we eat that stuff up. And I'm, and I'm working on another show called The Guardians with um, pr- my producers and managers um, at Convergence Entertainment, which is kind of like a Buffy, but where everybody has paranormal powers, or X-Men, where everybody mm-hmm. has paranormal oh, powers. Um and concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that one. And well, I'm glad that you bring it back the like the paranormal supernatural mm-hmm. stuff back into. The I, you know, show. I love you like it. to interwove. Interwove. What's the word? Interweave. Inter- Inter- yeah, we don't, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that word in the project. <laughs> um, so you know, but so I, I'm excited about that, and then I'm also um, working on this project about. Um, H.H. H. Holmes, America's First Serial Killer. So okay. I'm really excited about that. Oh, okay. um, and we have a pilot out, and we're out with that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can talk about it. You are <laughs> so doing a lot of stuff. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And I and the funny thing is, because um, you have to stay busy, and the, the, I feel very blessed. It's been, you know, it's been a it's been a rough year for me this last year because my mom passed mm-hmm. um, oh, in February, yeah. mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we were very close, and my sister was, you know, her primary caregiver in, mm-hmm. in Kentucky, and um, it was a really rough year, and then mm-hmm. and it feels like, you know, it kind of feels like right now she's kind of, like, looking out for me, and, like, because mm-hmm. it just feels like a lot of things are, are starting to percolate right now. Like, right. you know, I've got, with Andrew, I've got this project called The Undertakers, too, that's, like, a YA book. Um, it's an alien oh. invasion. Ooh, nice. It's an alien like, invasion, wow. but the aliens are 
ener- made of energy, so they use zombies or use corpses as hosts. So it's as okay. almost you a zombie. Write you write up his alligator. It's like the Maze Runners meets Walking Dead. It's okay. a friggin' great YA book, mm-hmm. and we're, we were we're moving forward on that, and we're moving yeah. forward on Good Samaritan. I'm moving forward with Superstition, mm-hmm. with this company called Global Renaissance, whose nice. whose goal is to like do multicultural films. Yeah. Um, oh, really? That really, yeah, that. That so are make sure writers make sure you check yes, those those folks out. Know. Yeah, they're they're Shout really really good company, mm. and um, so yeah, we're doing a project called Superstition right now that kind of plays on the superstition that deaths occur in threes. So it's set on a college campus where two people have died, and going under the superstition that death occurs in three, somebody starts a Deadpool mm-hmm. on the internet to figure out who's, who's going to be next. An, an app. Yeah. yeah, and what happens is somebody picks the, the somebody who ends up dying and then somebody starts using the app because now they have access to all the students phones with right. these apps starts going through people on the list and so it's kind of a whodunit you know kind of a I like that the mystery mm-hmm. element yeah. of trying mm-hmm. to figure out and our lead character basically finds out that she you know people around her are dying and the clues are starting to point to her so she starts realizing there, there's somebody out there that has a vendetta against mm-hmm. her so okay. it's a really fun like because there hasn't been a we haven't had a I don't think I can't think of an original slasher film I shouldn't say that because somebody's going to write me on Twitter or something and bitch at me. Say, you didn't see this one. I, but I think theatrically, I can't think of a slasher film yeah, that's, yeah. That, a that's not been a sequel. DVD or something I can't like think that. of a theatrical like slasher film. One of the most film. recent ones I've just, it's not even that, I don't know, I think it was last year or not that recent, but I just saw it on Netflix and I thought it was pretty good was mm-hmm. um, I Saw the Devil, which was a Korean. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was a, that was, was that yeah. a slasher? I, it, it can be considered kind of because it's more gore. Was that the one mm-hmm. where the guy went wanted revenge against the who killed his fiance? Kill, right, and he's a yeah, yes, yeah, and He's okay. coming and he's punishing the guy instead of turning mm. him in. He's revisiting back revenge. Yeah, that's a so gl- it's, kind of re, it's like revenge slasher. It's, it's it's out there. It's not everybody's cup of tea. I don't recommend li- it for it's everybody. It's a little intense, but it's, it's a little really intense. Good movie. But if you survived audition, oh yeah, <laughs> true, you can true. survive this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I want really quickly before we start wrapping okay, up, I want it to go through because one of the things I really love about horror is the psychology behind it. Mm-hmm. So just for the speaking audience, because I want to ask you something that is personal because it's something I'm still grappling with trying to figure out why I love the genre so much. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to let the audience know, um, there was a psychologist, uh, Glenn Walters, who said there were three factors why people like to go see horror. Number one, the tension. Sure. Okay. Um, the mystery, suspense, gore, the the terror, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, and the release of that when at the end when you're like kind of pleased. The mm-hmm. other thing is the relevance. Um, what do you mean when you say the relevance? Relevance in terms of is it relevant to the viewer? Like is it a universal story? Is okay. it something that people can relate to? For example, mm-hmm. death or the unknown. Mm-hmm. That's why people love Final Destination because sure. it was like death is like man, everybody's going to face death. Bitches, you ain't not gonna get out gonna of this world. <laughs> and if, if if death is the enemy, how's that gonna work out? True, and true. everybody can relate to that because everyone's mm-hmm. gonna die. They just mm-hmm. don't want to die right away. True. Um, also, when you're dealing with an unknown, I love shit that's with the unknown. I think that's why it follows really mm-hmm. affected me because mm-hmm. we didn't know really what it was, true. and it was unknown. It was something new, and also cultural, like subgroups, teens, mm-hmm. you know, teenagers and things. Um, do people relate to things like I think the last paranoia activity last year was with the Latino community, mm-hmm. which is really really fun and really well done and too. really like, well done. Really and the audience who went like where I live, it's like predominantly it's black and Latino, mm-hmm. and so it was fantastic to watch because it was like, oh my god, that's us up there on the screen. What is going on? So mm-hmm. that terms of relevance and also the concept of unrealism. Yeah. This is what he said, which is basically we know shit is not real, therefore we can enjoy it and watch it knowing that we are, nothing's going to happen to us. 
So it's kind of like a, a, a cathartic release to watch it and kind of, for me, it's kind of like, I'm going to watch it like if shit really does go down, at least I'm going to know not, what not to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in yes. that situation. I knew, I knew how to get out of my house you know? and kill her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the unrealness is, is mitigated by factors and by the use of multiple uh, angle shots in the films, mm-hmm. music, mm-hmm. also the idea of dark humor, that kind of thing. Because uh, what this uh, psychologist said is, People can watch really horrible horror, horror movies, and he mm-hmm. did a study, but when you show them shit that was real, real life stuff that happens, people can't really handle that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to this, because I remember one time, okay, I, sometimes I go to goth clubs, <laughs> when they have, during Halloween, they have goth party stuff and sometimes go in, and sometimes they'll have like, you know, some parties they'll show things on the screen, mm-hmm. and somebody was play, playing like Faces of Death kind of oh, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it took me a long time to watch Faces, even though I got through it, it wasn't as bad as I thought, mm-hmm. but... The uncomfortness because it was real. Yes, made it. Oh God, I don't, oh I can't deal with that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. but I can sit there and watch audition and everything else mm-hmm. and stuff being cut up, and I'd be like, oh my God, yeah, that's really gross. Mm-hmm. Let me see what else is going to happen. Yeah. That kind of thing. So for you, my question for you, because these are like he said, these are the factors that we get when we go see these movies. But what I'm curious knowing is why why do you think we're attracted to horror? In particular, why were you attracted? Because not everybody likes it. True. Like when I was growing up, my mom took us, like I swear to God, my first movie ever at two mm-hmm. was Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Mm-hmm. Oh my and god, that, I remember that. I can't believe you know that movie. That <laughs> and <laughs> drive in with moms uh-huh. and two. Mm-hmm. And because my mother's excuse is always, well, you were supposed to have been, because we didn't have babysitters back in the day, you were supposed to have been sleeping in the back of the car. <laughs> I know, and, that's what and that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that movie, but like. <laughs> she up like this, peeking behind her. Two, seat. two, okay, a toddler. <laughs> and like, it, I don't know if it was, you know how they talk about certain animals' imprint? Like, mm-hmm. that was imprinted on me, mm-hmm. as opposed to watching shows where, oh, the happy stuff that they think kids are supposed to be watching, mm-hmm. I've always been attracted to horror. Like, books. Mm-hmm. In mythology, I'm looking for the, the darker stories. Like, well, what about the bitches that go down to Hades and stuff? Let's talk yeah. about that stuff. <laughs> I know there's, you know, there's fawns and, oh, yeah, there's fairies and all that. But what about the bitches that get stuck in hell that kind of stuff? For me, when you talk about books in the Bible at church, I'm like, let's get to Revelations because that seems to be most interesting. <laughs> That's, the good, That's yeah. the good shit. Like, show me the demons and all that <laughs> okay. shit going down. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing the ark and all that. Yeah, yeah. But let's get to the shit where the second, you know. Exactly. There's something to it, and I'm still grappling with that that mm-hmm. speaks to me. Mm-hmm. What is it that attracts you since most of your work is dealing with with horror and the horrific natures of human humanity, I guess. I mean, for me, it, well, is, I, you know, just to be completely honest, I think for me, um, being gay and also being a minority, um, <laughs> growing up, you know, I experienced just a lot of prejudice mm-hmm. and like, you know, like the kind of prejudice where people would like spit on us or throw rocks at us mm-hmm. and you know just stuff like you know things mm-hmm. like that. So for me. Um, horror was always kind of an escape in a way because it, mm-hmm. it did let me kind of deal with a lot of those angry feelings and kind of vent and you know kind of the subtext of a lot of the horror films in the early days was like the unpopular kid was the one who ended up surviving right. and the right. popular kids were the ones who didn't right. um, and so for me it, it I think that that helped me deal with a lot of the ugliness that I saw mm-hmm. and experienced growing up and, and this was like I mean and again I always, you know, I'm always mindful of the fact, you know, you know, again, I'm very proud of where I grew up. Mm. Um, my mom's white and she moved back there to take care of her parents. And we, we did, we faced, and I, you know, mentioned this and we faced a lot of prejudice. Mm. Um, and, you know, my mom always taught me, um, you know, I'm a Baha'i. That's the religion I was born in, into. And one of the major tenets is that all races are equal and that, you know, genders are equal and, you know, 
things like that. So I was always brought up very colorblind in that the races were very, you know, equal. And my mom married a black man before the civil rights movement. I mean, she was way ahead of her time. Um, and so my mom always just taught me that they, they didn't know any better. And not that they, they were not putting anybody down. She's like, they haven't experienced black people before. So right. they are only going off the misconceptions yeah. that they were brought up with. The ignorance. And it's and, also the concept it, of othering to the other and mm-hmm. people being scared of the other. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I, you know, that's why it, even today, you know, it, it gets very, you know, when you talk about gay rights and, and especially when African-Americans say, we don't want you to co- say that gay, the gay rights movement is a civil rights movement. It's like, well, t- just to be honest, you know, the people that called me nigger growing up were the same people that were calling me faggot once mm-hmm. calling me nigger wasn't exactly. cool anymore. Right. You know, right. like there was a demarcation line where up until a certain age, I was the nigger at school. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was like, well, once people started really going, and that's not cool anymore. Mm-hmm. Then the really... Mm-hmm. prejudice people are like well then they started calling me faggot that's when you start you know to intersections mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah. so it's like you know all that all that pre- prejudice no matter how you want to justify it kind of comes from the same place so for me horror films were uh, an escape i hate real life violence yeah the same way i can't yeah. watch real life violence yeah. um but that's why i sparked movies like you know carrie yes. or you know growing up or or you just want to have superhuman powers and knock I somebody did, out. I know. I want to. I <laughs> want to knock a bitch out. I want to tell kinesis. I want to tell kinesis so bad. You know. You have no idea how bad I want to tell kinesis. Is that, is that the is that the superhuman power you'd have if you could have superhuman um, power? I think it would be because we talked about because Storm's my favorite okay. superhero. Okay. But um, it was like, would you want to control the weather or have telekinesis? And in my dreams, I'm always. Storm, like I, I don't actually, turn, I don't turn into storm, <laughs> right, right. But I'm always controlling the weather and making tornadoes right, and stuff yes, like that. Right. So, but See, I'm tell- always like Blade in mine. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I always have zombie or vampire dreams. That's right. It. That's it. Yeah. So, so I would. Um, I don't know if I'd want to control the weather or telekinesis would be cool. Mm. Either one of them. Mm-hmm. Either one of them. Mm-hmm. But, I, but getting back to the root of that, I think that that horror kind of allowed me to process a lot of the. The, uh, vi- you know, and it, there there was violence, too, yeah. you know, that I, around me, um, and just process it and right. and kind of let it go because I'm, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm surprisingly un, you know, like I I, I hear, you know, I, I understand where a lot of people have, that have gone through that are are, are very angry. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I've met a lot of white people who grew up in predominantly black and Latino areas who are were you know treated poorly, sure. and they still hold on to that. You know, mm-hmm. they they're still very prejudiced now against that, and it's mm-hmm. like. I I think it's par- partially, well, mostly because of my religious beliefs, but also because of the way my mom raised me, that I was kind of able to kind of let that stuff go and realize, like, you know, and I'm best friends with a lot of these people today. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? These people, they just didn't know any better growing up. Sure. It's so, the, the irony is I get, I've gotten so many messages from people I went to high school with who are like, I just want you to know I married a black man, and if I hadn't met you, I don't think I would have. And I'm like, well, good for you, you know. Not and they, having children who look just like and you, I know. <laughs> and, and, and and you know, and and I actually think that's a, a great, wonderful thing to hear because again, they they were saying like I because I met you and got to know you as a person, right? I was able to put the, aside the prejudices that my parents taught me, mm-hmm. and have moved forward. Mm-hmm. And that's all that we can hope for in the world in general. But again, for me, hanging on to anger and resentment about any of that stuff like that's why I'm always honest about how I grew up because I don't want to whitewash it mm-hmm. you know and there's a part part of me in the back of my head it's like I don't want people back home thinking I'm talking shit about them because I'm not right um, because that was a sign of the time yeah you were just real taught this is what happened it and is and what then, it is and, yeah. and things have changed and mm-hmm. people 
you know, people have changed mm-hmm. um, backward. It's so funny. Like I used to, when I went home all the time, like back in the old days, people would follow, you know, just typical follow you around the stores to make sure mm-hmm. you didn't, you know, and it gets annoying or the cops would always pull you over and it's like, ugh. Um, but now I go back, you know, I go back and there's, you know, in my hometown, there's like a, a Chinese restaurant with, with the Chinese family that runs oh, it. Really? And it's so funny cause they have the hillbilly accents like I, like I do. <laughs> it's like, it's um, like in New Orleans. And I have, have a, new, a new show that I'm working on and it takes place in the South and there's two Asian characters who have Southern accents. Yeah. It's very funny. And then I go back and I see, I'll see like, you know, I'll see like some, an interracial couple or a black couple and nobody, and I'm like, nobody's staring at them, you know, mm-hmm. which is great. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. But there's still that one, there's a little tiny bit of part of me that when I used to go home, that would be like, if I went to a store that wasn't like where everybody knew me, mm-hmm. I was, you know, there's like, are they going to start following me? Are they going to do this? Or here comes a cop pulling me over again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so it's, it's, um, for me, again, the horror is, is real life horror, um, is what worries me that, you know, yeah, whether right. it's violence, um, whether it's prejudice, you know, mm-hmm. I think prejudice as, as it just as a general thing is probably the worst thing in the, to happen in the world for, for whatever reason, whether whether you're prejudiced against gay people, whether you're prejudiced against white people, mm-hmm. whether you're prejudiced against religious people mm-hmm. or people who aren't religious, mm-hmm. like people don't seem to understand, like, you know, it's, it, it all go it, it goes to everybody. Like, you know, if, if you start hating on it, on other people, it's just a cycle. And for and some reason, everything re- is interconnected. People don't seem to realize, don't seem to realize that. that. Like, people <laughs> don't seem to realize like we all came, whether, whether, Science or religion. We mm-hmm. all came from the same place. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going by science, then we all evolved from the same thing. If you're going by religion, yeah. we all started with Adam right. and Eve. Right. You're like, you know what? No matter how you look at it, like, you know, kind of society kind of functions by keeping us divided because right. it's easier to, like, True. you know, to, to turn us against each other because then we can't just sit down and have a, co- a ca- conversation about, like, you know, it's like, just I'll just throw race out there just to play the race card for a minute. I'm not playing the race card. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't have my race, I don't have my deck of cards with me. But the funny, the thing is about race is like, we can't have, we can't have a civil conversation almost because it's been framed by mostly politicians mm-hmm. in the media where on one side, people of color are being told that racism is a thing of the past that we should just get over. And it's like, well, I was being spit on and had thrown rocks thrown at me when I was in high school. That wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were still schools segregated in 69 when I was born. Mm-hmm. So that stuff, you it's know, that's, still, that's, that's not, that's not, it's not, it's not and, and, it, and it takes generations to breed yes. prejudice out of people. Right. You can't just pass a law and then all of a sudden people aren't prejudiced right. anymore. But on the same side, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends who are white feel for some reason, and, I, and again, that, 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 that's where I think the dialogue has to be massaged, is they feel like they're being blamed personally for the prejudice. But, Especially but in I, Hollywood. But yeah. Especially you know, in Hollywood. Why are being blamed? Like, yeah. no, but I, it's just, you're just benefiting some things that happened long ago. <laughs> right. We're just pointing it out to you gently. <laughs> right. But to, a lot to, of, just so you can understand why mm-hmm. some things happen, and you just need to like grow up and... Right. Get with the program. But the thing is a lot... Uh, Get with the winning team, ho. Come right, on. Right. But, but, there is, there, but there is a way... Sometimes there's a... And for me, it's all about how things are presented in, in conversations. But there are a lot of white people who are, are, are made to feel like, again, they're personally being blamed right now for mm. things that they didn't do. And, I, and I, when I talk to them, I'm like, you know what? It's like, okay, I'm gay and a minority. So... But Both we, we talk about... <laughs> but we talk about... Exactly. As a, even as a gay minority male 
I still have certain privileges that right. a woman doesn't have. Right. True. You know what I'm saying? Still that, a doesn't, man. that doesn't right. mean, that doesn't mean that I'm I should be ashamed that I'm a man or that I'm a bad person because I'm a man mm-hmm. or that I'm doing something wrong personally. Mm-hmm. But I know that women who have taken jobs that I've left have gotten paid less than me, even mm-hmm. though I'm a gay minority. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I know that if I go walking down the street at night, I don't have to worry about somebody raping me. Mm-hmm. Like there are just certain things as a man mm-hmm. that that are privileges bestowed upon me for right. just having a penis. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and so when I try to explain it to him that way, then then it takes a little of the sting out. Right. But I don't I, I don't think people have the conversation in a way where where we're bringing everybody to the table to try to figure out a solution. It's all right. about, you know, it's all about, well, you're just playing the race card or this is this and this, you know, and it's like there's so much screaming and yelling right. and <laughs> it, it makes for good you know, it makes for good Donald Trump speeches and, yeah. you know, and book it's sales. That, it's just that ridiculous fear. And it's like, look, mm-hmm. look, white people, slavery happened. Because they always have to say, well, and you know, you have Obama, you have Kobe Bryant, you have, let's, let's just, there's called the exception. Yes. They always allow one yes, or two of us in. Yes. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, if you talk about it, then mm-hmm. we ain't got to talk about it that much. Like, look, it's just deal with it. Shit happened. What are we gonna do to move forward? To move forward, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing, like, and the thing with Obama, you know, to bring him up for a second, like, it's not like the whole country voted for him. It's like, yeah. most of the country doesn't even vote, right? So we're talking about out of, out of the small portion of the population that, that actually did vote, voted. Yeah, he got the majority vote out yeah. of the, that part. So mm-hmm. it's not like the whole country voted him into the White House, right? And, <laughs> and everything, everything's changed. Because um, seriously, if you really just did not want Obama. For those folk who don't yeah, don't like colored folk, y'all could have came out and voted. And I'm, I mean, you are like the majority sure population for right now. Yeah. You know, y'all clearly could have cut him in mass and like shut that shit down. <laughs> clearly, there is a disconnect from those people who have this fear, those particular white people, to people who are white who are like, you know what, that shit's old. It's played out. We're making something new. True. You know. Right. So you know. Get over so, it. Let, so let's wrap this up. But let me just ask you one question that I've been asking a lot of our guests lately. Which is, if you came to town now, and you probably have been answered this question before, but I'd just like for my, my audience to hear this. If you came to town today with, say, a script or two, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Right. What would be different? Um, I had such a weird experience just because mm-hmm. of the whole starting sure. off at New Line thing. If I, I mean, if I came to, I mean, what I tell people now is, if there's a way that you can make your script into a movie, like, if, even if it's a short you know, mm-hmm. you can shoot stuff on iPhones now that are getting they distributed look online. Good, that, yeah, mm-hmm. you can you can connect with other filmmakers who are, you know, who are looking for scripts to write. Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a group that I'm with Andrew Van Houten that I'm that I help out with called Tent Square T E N T Square dot com, and it's basically like a social media site for filmmakers. That it's free. You just create a profile. You can upload your stuff. They have competitions all the time with like mm-hmm. cash prizes and right. stuff like that but you can mm-hmm. connect with filmmakers so if you're a writer you can connect with a director who's like hey i'm looking for a script to shoot you know find it find a tribe mm-hmm. and make start making stuff happen because the thing is it's if you come out here a lot of times people come out here and they're like well i've got to get my script sold to a studio mm-hmm. if you look at what the studios are putting out most of its remakes sequels stuff based on comics stuff based on books stuff based on video games right. now mm-hmm. they're not looking for original content mm-hmm. so you've got to figure out how to get your stuff that represents your voice out there. So mm-hmm. as a screenwriter, you can enter some contests, but it, but I think the goal is to get your film made. Right. And so write stuff that's not crazy budget-wise, you know, and again, ideally, if you can find, like, 
you know, a director who's looking for stuff, like try to connect, mm-hmm. even if it's starting off small, like, okay, well, let's do it like with Good Samaritan, like let's do a short version mm-hmm. of, good, of the feature that I want to make. So right. that way people can prove the concept. So that's the advice that I would, I would say, you know, there's so much, there's so much, I went to the LA high school, um, film student awards to give out like their horror award. Mm-hmm. And some of those kids were at con. Oh really? The high school, this is high school, <laughs> high school kids. They're like, well, our other teammates couldn't be here cause they're over in France right now. Okay. I think it's where con is. Um, <laughs> and, um, but some of the stuff that I saw was amazing. And these mm-hmm. kids shot this stuff on iPhones or they mm-hmm. shot it on like, you know, five D's. Yeah. And, and so the access to equipment is out there now where you can shoot something a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would say sh- try to get something shot, even if you're just a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, get something shot to sh- you know to kind of proof of your concept. Right, Absolutely. right, right. You know, because there's there's no the old way of kind of like the stu- the old studio system's dead. You know, it just doesn't work That's like true. it. You know, they don't have the you know they don't have the that I mean some of them have the but you know you used to you'd submit your script to a studio you'd mm-hmm. submit a query letter they'd have a reader cover it if it got good coverage they'd pass it around mm-hmm. they don't do that they they're too busy now on their mm-hmm. f- comic book franchise and their book franchise <laughs> we got to acquire the next next I thing mean, that's, that's all I do now you know people hire me to produce their projects so we can shoot the concept so we can shoot the pilot so we can shoot whatever right because nobody everybody has oh I'll, I'll I'll give you twenty minutes to watch something. Right, <laughs> you know, watch your first twenty-three minutes or whatever. But I don't have time to read an right. hour, and an hour and a half script. Hours. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So right. it, it's happening all the time. But that's something that I, I, I thank you very much. That was very good advice. You know, it's 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 just all about being your own boss, taking control of your career. Yeah. <clears throat> not waiting, but as Lisa always says, not waiting. Right though. Right. <laughs> and you, you know? have to, and be, yeah. and you have to, and you really yes. have to be ready to dedicate ten years of your mm-hmm. life to the to it mm-hmm. you know because the thing is there's so much clutter out here as far as people coming out with their one year or two year plans mm-hmm. so you got those people coming out every day you know 50 100 people come in here every mm-hmm. every day with a two year plan you gotta so be that marathon runner they're, yeah so they're <laughs> cluttering up they're cluttering up the marketplace because right. they're coming out here with like five scripts and so you've got to you got to pace yourself and you got to you know do the work and right. keep yourself going somehow you know and not saying it'll take 10 years, but for every one of those overnight success stories, you, you know. You got to be ready for the 10-year run. You got to be ready for the 10-year yeah, run, you know. Yeah. So. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Jeffrey. Oh, we appreciate it. Me. We've been trying to get you on for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Cal. Where can people find you? You're on Twitter? Um, on Twitter's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it's it's Jeffrey A. Reddick, um, and, and that's the best way to just kind of keep track of what's going on. Are you on there a lot? I'm, I'm starting to be like, it's so <laughs> funny. I joined like years ago and then I never, I didn't start actually really getting involved in Twitter till mm-hmm. last year when I did the short. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I do check it every day now and I try to update stuff. Um, and like I was, I was telling Lisa offline before we started, we gotta, you gotta do um, final destination. Maybe you do part two since that's his favorite one. <laughs> and get him on. I know for the Friday, like Friday night horror is like, hmm, let me talk to Graveyard Shift's sister exactly. and be like, hey, have we? D- I have to check. So yeah, they might have, right. d- they might have done it. Let me check to see because that would be kind of fun because then we could just have you come and live tweet with us. It's so much fun because <laughs> we watch it like we literally we watch it and oh. all over the world and we sit there and as we're watching it. We have a hashtag for it, and we just conversate as it's going oh, on. Oh, that's it's awesome. Hilarious. That sounds awesome. It's so oh much fun. Oh, my God. That sounds like so much fun. It's mm. so much fun. Cool. Where are you at, Lisa? Lisa Coltrane? Y'all know where I am. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> and also at Bitchflix. Uh, 
<laughs> I like yes. it. You that up. You can find me on Twitter, Twitter at church, and, and on Bitchflix. Yes, where I write a lot of film uh, film reviews with a feminist slant, because you know I'm all about intersections, people. And you can go on there and read my latest piece about uh, Strata Compton movie. And uh, yeah, but I'm always there. But you can always, I'm always lurking, usually on Saturday nights. On Saturday night sci-fi. Mm. Shout again to Geek Soul Brother. Geek Yay! Soul. And the whole the whole tribe of folks Black out there who, because well, last night, you know, last night they did um, Firefly. Uh, um, what was it? Firefly. And did you do that? And they did like the the TV show. They did the first two episodes. I was okay. busy and mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to, but I missed that. But it, it was it's always. I was fun. watching Narcos last night. Oh, how was it? I saw it on Netflix. Uh-huh. I'm like. I was watching the opening of Scream like five times in a row. Were you really? Yes. <laughs> I just because Drew Barrymore is so good in that, like yeah. the fear, like. Uh, anyway, we'll yes. we'll talk later, girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, we got we we did an episode earlier this year about horror, so we're gonna we t- keep talking about doing another one closer to we, things, yeah, the, uh, uh, Halloween, Halloween. So maybe we'll try to have you back and yeah, we can just cause, talk about Because I would like, like to really talk, like, in. really talk more because I had some other questions. But I want to say, because like, I, I realized, and I was thinking, I was like, no, we need to have you come back again. Yeah, we need to Because we need to break Halloween down. Episode. Because I think it's important that people realize that horror is not dead. <laughs> it's it is alive dead. and well. Yeah. The it's good stuff is yeah. coming yeah. from indie folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we need to have that, that serious conversation because mm-hmm. we need to change how horror movies are being uh Disrespected and considered exactly. less than, they're and, always, it's, and they're, it's always been like that. We're like so the redhead stepchild in the basement. <laughs> I know what we are, it, but we make money. It's like yeah. we're the redhead stepchildren that make money. Mm-hmm. And I love redheads, by yeah, the way, yeah. too. Just FYI, <laughs> just I all love my redheads. Just I'm all fan. I love gingers. <laughs> I'm gingers. But, um, up, yeah. <laughs> and I am your host, Hilliard Guest. And you guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you guys can follow the show at Screenwriters. RR because rant room is too long, so we they abbreviate it because uh, Twitter ain't cool yet. Uh, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> now you're banned from Twitter. <laughs> uh, I wish they would. No, <laughs> Our next guest is coming, Scotch. What's up, buddy? Wonderful, Scotch. Um, so uh, anyway, so you guys know how we do it on the rant room. I got to give a special shout out to my man Jack Spade. Um, he's got some kick-ass hip-hop music that he's been making for us. He's making a cool-ass theme song for us, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have one now, but he's making a new one for us. <clears throat> so that's coming out soon. Um, and then a couple quick countries, um, England, Japan, France, um, um, Germany, Australia, Brazil. Um, I'm going to give it just just to y'all a quick five right there. Thank you very much. You guys know who you are. So... You're going to join in with us when we say 2015. I'm going to take this Dorito right now. All right. Me too. You're going to join in us when we say 2015. Just listen. In English? Well, damn it. Ain't ain't we speaking in English? (laughs) Scotch is like, I know five languages. (laughs) 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 So y'all know how we do it on the rant room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On this show, we keep it street. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what? 2015. Peace, y'all. If the tables were turned, you wouldn't like that. How much are we supposed to take until we fight back? You must correct this mistake to see the right track. You won't be stealing my fade, I want my life back. I know I fit the profile because the color of my skin has been known for a while. Ain't no need to pretend, even if you ain't dressed like a nigga. 
Johnny Lau still at you with his finger on the trigger. I'm just trying to reach success and live my life to the fullest. How the hell can I do that if I'm steady dodging them bullets from the people who was sworn to protect? Don't try my intellect, only those that give respect deserve to keep respect. And I suspect you was never respected. Now your power tripping, but your anger's misdirected. Trying to be a hero, well, you a villain in my eyes. I put my hands to the sky, live free or die. Mr. Officer, why do you hate me? I am not a criminal, I am not the enemy, dear Mr. Officer, why your gun off safety, you aim and shoot with no regard, will I make it home to my family, dear Mr. Officer, why do you hate me, I am not a criminal, I am not the enemy, dear Mr. Officer, why your gun off safety, You aim and shoot with no regard Will I make it home to my family?